Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience powered by Gasoline Alley. Today's guest is Leo Yip, industrial designer, co-founder slash director of Ellispeed. Welcome, mate. Hey, mate. How's things? Good. I finally remembered one without having to glance down at my piece of paper here. <laughs> so I'm good. You're doing well. Yeah. How are you, man? Yeah, yeah, good, good. Yeah, good day. Beautiful sunny day outside, you know. We should be riding bikes, but we're sitting in here in a nice uh, nice room. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's nice here as well. So, yeah, yeah. Nah, it's good. Who's um who's Leo Yip? Uh, I guess uh, he's uh, supposedly an adult who's just mm. uh, who's really a kid inside who hasn't hasn't grown up. Um, definitely someone who uh, aims very hard at being able to do fun things uh, for himself as well as for his family and friends and, and that sort of thing. Yep. So yeah, I'm uh, yeah just uh, just an industrial designer, uh, trained as an industrial designer, um, but also have a obviously a particular interest within motorbikes. So why um, why industrial design? Um, it's funny. I went through school like we sort of all do, and yeah. uh, and I always thought, okay, you know, I'm going to be, you know, not destined, but I'm more than likely going to have a career in sort of medicine or something along those lines. Um, so you know, all throughout high school, I did all the sciences, and you know, did did no art. Um, I did shop only because we had to in like grade nine or whatever. Mm. And, uh, and I really liked shop and, um, and I really liked art, but they're not the subjects that I did in grade 12, uh, grade 11 and 12. So then, you know, get to uni, did a year of science, uh, med science. And I was like, oh, I don't know if this is for me. <laughs> I was like, this is really boring. And, um, you know, I had, I had an interest in learning, but I definitely didn't have an interest in I think what the careers were afterwards. So either becoming a doctor or, you know, so on and so forth. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I just happened to be watching a TV show on Foxtel, um, about two industrial designers. Uh, they're affectionately known as the two dicks, um, Dick Powell and Richard, oh no, sorry, Richard Seymour and Dick Powell. Mm -hmm. Um, they're two English industrial designers and they're like the granddaddies of product design. And they, they went on this, they did this series where basically they'd go in and say, oh, okay, well, you know, we want to redesign a hairdryer and then they'd redesign it, um, you know, get it to like a, like a full mock-up stage where, you know, you could hold the thing in your hand and everything like that. Yeah. And, you know, they materialize this out of nothing. And, uh, and yeah, basically they would then go and pitch that to a company. I saw that and I was like, that's what I want to do. I'm like, I want to be able to draw something. I want to be able to think of something in my head draw it and then make it a reality. Wow. So just that one TV show, I was like, that's it. I went and, uh, went and called up uni the next day. Uh, I think, you know, you had to go see like a, you know, like a careers counselor or whatever, <laughs> if you needed to change like degrees or whatever. And I was like, oh, look, I'm, I'm quitting uni. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Why are you quitting? And I was like, I want to go do this thing called industrial design. And they're like, oh yeah, cool. Well, you don't need to quit uni. We offer industrial design here. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I was like, oh, perfect. Yep. So, you know, I, you know, not looked any further into this thing besides that, besides watching this one TV show. Um, so I changed out and, uh, and I still had like, I think a quarter of a semester to go in first year. So I just, you know, did that, smashed it out. And, uh, and yeah, I remember telling my mom and, uh, and saying, Hey mom, I'm not going to do medicine anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that go? Uh, well, as an Asian kid, yeah. um, telling your parents that you're probably not going to be a doctor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was all right. My, my parents took it in their stride. They're, yep. uh, my, my parents are pretty cool. They they never sort of really pushed me yep. in terms of anything. They're always just like, follow, you know, do what you want to do, 
you know, they, they understand that, you know, being in Australia, being in Australian culture, where my sister and I were going to be subjected to a lot of things that are not traditionally Chinese or Asian. Mm. And, uh, and as a result, it's really is about us forging our own path as opposed to, you know, typical Asian culture. It's like, you know, very hierarchical, you know, like, you know, the parents will tell you, no, this is what you're doing and you will be this, you know, X, Y, and Z. Whereas my parents came from very much like a sort of counterculture, like they listened to the Beatles, you know, like when they were growing up and all that sort of stuff. And my parents moved here when they were like 20 and 19. So where from originally? Uh, So my parents were originally from Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Um, So they came out uh, because my uncle was out here, Mm. but my, I guess my family, so my, the Yip family has been coming to Australia for a very long time. So my great, great granddad came over in a boat. So he literally paid for a ferry ticket to come here with a bunch of his other friends and wow. family. And, uh, and they came here and they set up um, essentially like markets in Sydney. So, and some of my cousins actually still run the longest running uh, vegetable market in, in like the hay markets, for example. I, th- I think it's something like that. Yep. And um, so my great-great-granddad and his brother came out and set that up. And, and he was like, oh, look, I'm going to go back to Hong Kong and maybe bring some of our other relatives out. But he's like, I'm, it, this is not really for me. He's like, I really want to go back to, to Hong Kong. Right. So he left and on his passage back, unfortunately passed away, leaving my granddad and, um, and my great-grandmother and all that, great-great-grandmother and all that sort of stuff uh, in Hong Kong to sort of essentially sort of, you know, bring themselves up. So my granddad, when he sort of, you know, got to a certain age, my uncle was like, oh, look, I, you know, really want to travel somewhere, you know, like I want to, I want to leave Hong Kong. I want to, you know, sort of expand. And, and he's like, oh, why don't you go to Australia? Because, you know, like we've still got relatives there, you know, you, they're still there, you know, you could meet with them first and then, um, and then, you know, go from there. So my uncle came out, I don't know, it must've been like sixties, like maybe even slightly earlier, yeah. uh, landed in Sydney first and then went to, went to Adelaide and set up a, set up a base in Adelaide. And, uh, and so my parents, um, my dad came out to, to Adelaide, not knowing that my mum was coming to Adelaide. They knew of one another in, yeah. in Hong Kong. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, my dad, I think, just happened to be walking along the street one day and, uh, and saw, saw this girl who was in, an, in a, uh, like a motor vehicle accident and uh, turned out it was my mum. She'd been hit by a motorbike. Um, right. So... My, my parents are cool with motorbikes still though. But yeah. A, <laughs> but yeah, my, my dad was like, oh my gosh, I know this chick. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, and so yeah, you know, they didn't speak a word of English. Mm. My dad knew where the hospital was. So he picked her up and like literally carried her to the hospital, which right. was, you know, sort of down the road. And, and That's stuff, an incredible story. It hey? is. It is. Yeah. And yeah, they, you know, my, my dad just sort of stayed by my mum's side from, from that point on. Yep. And, you know, they... They had my sister. Um, she's about five years older than me, um, and then they had me. So yeah. And they like you were saying before we started this, you started your life in Adelaide. So how long did you stay in Adelaide for? Uh, until I was in grade seven. So okay. yeah. yeah, that was uh, it was almost the perfect time because my sister was finishing high school and I was about to enter high school. Yeah, right. So it meant that she could go to uni up here in Brisbane. And, uh, and I could obviously attend high school in uh, in Brisbane as well. So you come straight to Brizzy? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, My mum was just sick and tired of the rain and grey 
sort of uh, drab weather in in, uh, in Adelaide, which is actually kind of funny because pretty much as soon as we left, it started becoming really dry right. uh, in, in Adelaide. And, and, and the heat in Adelaide is very different to Brisbane mm. uh, or very different to Queensland. It's, uh, you know, it's obviously it's kind of humid up here, whereas down there it's super, super dry. Just um, dry and hot, eh? Yeah, dry yep. and hot. Yep. <laughs> That's, yeah. So have you got, still got any relatives down in Adelaide? Yeah, yeah, still yep. got a heap. Um, so pretty much all throughout all the states. Yep. You know, we've got a we've got a lot of, um, I guess, a lot of yip history yep. in, in Australia. So, yeah, I've got a lot of cousins and, and all that sort of stuff. And Cool. Yeah, I've got some cousins that I've met. They're like, you know, they're white. And you're like, what? <laughs> and it's like, you're a yip. That's, uh, that's weird. And, you know, obviously, you know, they're sort of, you know, a few, you know, sort of like second or third cousins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're just like, oh, okay, that's that's kind of cool. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we've, we've although, you know, I'm only technically speaking second generation, I, you know, I definitely know that, you know, we've got a sort of, I guess, quite a deep connection with Australia and all that sort of thing. 100%. Yeah. And have you, have you been over to Hong Kong ever? Yeah, 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 a few times. So it's an incredible place too, hey. It's uh yeah, it's a you know, busy busy place. Mm. So my parents made it a point to take my sister and I back there, you know, like when we were young to sort of, you know, this is kind of where you also come from. Yeah. It's um I think growing up here you're always trapped in between sort of two worlds. You're kind of trapped between two cultures. Very much on the inside you're very Australian, you know, everything you speak about and the people you hang out with similar sort of culture but from the outset it's like no no no, you 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 don't look exactly like us (laughs) but you know a couple of minutes into a conversation people are kind of like oh okay cool yeah you know all right yeah i get it but um but yeah it is interesting so Mm. my parents always thought it was really important to sort of i guess show us the other side of where we've come from um and and for me i think that's been particularly important as a i guess maybe as a guy growing up knowing sort of, oh, okay, well, this is where my ancestors are. Like, you know, this is where my ancestral home is. Um, I'm particularly lucky, I feel, because uh, I still have some cousins who they maintain our family tree. Um, it's this giant book that uh, actually extends wow. back 2,000 years. And so we can track every single hip that's ever ever been born um, from this one particular place in, I guess, southern China, yeah. um, and then eventually they sort of moved to Hong Kong. Um, hey, that's yeah, that's incredible. Hey, <laughs> I, I really respect that that family tree sort of side of it. One of my, one of my closest mates. That's that's turned into like his um, his pastime, his ancestry. Hey, like he's into it. Like it. Once you start delving into it, hey, it's amazing what you find out about your family. Yeah, Ancestry.com. Yeah. You know, they got shows about it and everything. Oh, it's so, huge now, yeah, hey. Yeah. So it's really cool to sort of see, you know, as I say, what sort of where your family's come from, what your heritage might be, what this is. And yeah, very cool. Yeah. So industrial design, What we'll go back to that part. Yeah. What, what does What is industrial design? Uh, it's essentially it's product design. Product is main, one of the main focuses. Yeah. Yep. So every day when you wake up, most people will probably have an interaction with you know, over a couple of hundred different products. Yep. Um, someone's responsible for that. Sometimes it's an engineer, sometimes it's a an inventor, um, but more often than not, it has to go through a series of processes and checks and balances to become a, I guess, a fully fledged product at the end of it. Uh, now, I'm, I'm a true believer that everyone has design innately built into them. Right. So I, I equate it to running. So, you know, you, you see, you know, babies are crawl, walk, then run. I design is exactly the same as that. 
The mm. probably the only difference between say myself as someone who's an industrial designer is that I've had training to run. Mm. Now, just like running, there's all different types of running as well. So you've got sprinters, you've got you know ultra marathon runners, you've got you know 400 meter runners. So I guess as a trained product designer, you can hone your craft and your skill to a particular type of design. Yeah. So industrial design's great, you know, it spans, and probably what I guess really um, appealed to me is that you can apply that process almost across the board to any product. So one minute you could be designing, um, so, you know, for example, uh, you know, after uni, one of the jobs that I had in a consultancy, we're designing Bluetooth headsets, but in that same studio, we were designing ride-on lawnmowers. Wow. So it's just the variety that really appealed to me. And it was it, that harps back to that TV show that I watched. That's cool. Where you know the guys are making hair dryers or designing hair dryers, and then they're also doing, uh, they're also building, you know, they were designing um, chairs for for airplanes. And I was just sort of thinking, hang on a second, how do these two things correlate? They don't. In in you know they're completely different materials, they're different form factors. They're but you apply that process correctly, and you can apply it to almost any product. Is it classed as an engineering pursuit? Um, it's a little bit different. So it's. It's, it's very funny that um, industrial design, the, the way I think of best to describe it is that it sits exactly in the middle between art and science, yep. whereas engineering is more geared towards science. Um, and whereas like sort of, I guess, product design, it has standards that are surrounded, it, uh, surrounded but it's not like engineering where you have engineering certification, it's, um, which is something that I think it should um, as a as a body as a as a profession, it should have some some sort of, I guess, accreditation to it. For sure, um, it it actually stems from architecture. So industrial design. Um, so if you, so the the real genesis and the real I guess um, birth of industrial design is uh, architecture and through the Bauhaus movement. So you had a bunch of artists and some architects, and they basically this is. Uh, you know, they, they started this movement of making arts and crafts that were mass produced and being able to make being able to be made in a repetitive way to exact standards. Whereas obviously arts and crafts, most things that are hand handcrafted and handmade, you're gonna have slight discrepancies. The tolerance window is gonna be a little higher. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So yeah, you know, the um, I guess the the interesting thing with um, with industrial design is is that is that you're always thinking about how you can how you can make a product not just design it to be the best it can be but also make it as efficient as it can possibly be take as little resources as it you know as it needs to, to actually make the product the ergonomics of it the whole life cycle of the actual product and you know right down to the packaging and, and all sorts of things like that um, it's it's a really quite an interesting field, and and it's some it's something that can take you to all different types of industries and places. Um, so besides Ellerspeed, Steve and I still run Hell of a Studios, which is actually our industrial design studio. Right. So we still get some pretty interesting projects that come through that have nothing to do with motorbikes whatsoever. Um, and I guess we're sort of in a fortunate position. We've we've kind of created this uh, position for ourselves where we can kind of be like that's a really cool product and we really, really want to work on that. Or that's not really sort of what we're into. You're better off actually going to 
these other design studios because these guys are way more equipped mm. to sort of help you out. Yep. Um, and so, you know, yeah, we typically try and choose things that are kind of sort of more in the action sports industry, like things that, things that kind of just appeal to us and, you know, like, you know, we've done stuff as like skate brands and, and all sorts of things. So so what's the what's the process? Say Steve's obviously your business partner in yep. Ellerspeed and co-founder as well. What's the process? Someone come to you and then do you, do you go and research what's bad, what's good, or what, what happens? Yeah, yeah. So That's how it works? Yeah, 100%. So yeah. You, there's a lot of watching. I, I love people watching. Mm. And so there's a lot of that. Right. So you, you watch how someone interacts with something and you might find some innovations within that. Or alternatively, you might look at the actual product and you might look at the semantics of it. You're like, hang on a second. You know, why, is, why is that that color? Or why is that that shape? It's like, oh, that doesn't make sense. So a good example is, you know, you pop the, pop the bonnet of a car up you look at a car from like the 70s it's like i don't know like everything kind of just looks almost you know the same you pop a car open you know today oh, all the yellow things i can touch they're the things i can touch oh, i'm meant to check the dipstick oh, i'm meant to i'm meant to fill up my it's color coded exactly so that's a i guess a really good example of just semantically for a user there's a small level of innovation there where people real where car manufacturers realized okay this doesn't make sense to general users they don't know how to check the general very very basic general maintenance of a car um so we need to color code this and make it really uh easy for them to understand so you might find some small innovations there from there you know you'll go through after doing a bunch of research you collate all of that information in your head you start laying pen to paper and you'll actually sketch it out you might you know write a few notes and all that sort of thing but design's a forever cyclical process. A lot of people want to describe it almost as a linear process, which is, uh, sure, that works in a business sense. It's like, okay, we start here, here's the brief, we end here, this is how much money it costs. But in between, the best way it's been described to me is imagine you had a bowl of spaghetti, mm -hmm. you pull out one strand of spaghetti and you put it on one side, and you pull out another sp strand of spaghetti and you put it on the other side. That's actually the design process. That mess in the middle, yeah. it's like a reverse explosion. Wow. You know, you, you're collecting all of these pieces and you're like, okay, cool, this is how I piece together this product. And you're forever making compromises. Um, you know, whether or not it's a compromise based on budget or whether or not it's a uh, compromise based on manufacturing, um, you know, processes that are available uh, to the client. Mm. So, you know, there are some that are way more costly than others. And so then you start getting into what's the production run? Are we talking 500 or are we talking half a million? Because they, they're very, very different conversations and they're very, very different ways to approach design. So, yeah, you know, but, but that ability to actually make something and, and create something from A to B, I think is innate in everyone. You know, you, you look at our, you know, you look at our ancestors being able to shape a bit of stone to create a knife or, you know, shape a bit of, you know, stone to create a, a spearhead. It's product design. Yeah, 100%. That's what it is, yep. yeah. And, you know, that's what's led us to this point, good or bad, <laughs> in <laughs> evolutionary history. Yeah, yep. You know, it's uh, it's what's led us to this point. So, hey, yeah. What an interesting trade. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, mm. it's great and it's not one that's very well known. Um, you know, whenever you go select the uh, occupation box for something, there's there's never industrial – there's never product design – uh, so the closest thing is, yeah, you, you put down like architecture or engineering or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Who was someone that was like a – you obviously said about those other other people at first, who, like people like Chip Foose or anything like that. Is there, is there people like that you look to in your current world? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, further along as I got into it more, right. I, I discovered, you know, just like, just like in any industry, 
you start fanboying over, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, you know, that's that person, you know, they did this and that they created detail this. in that. Yeah. So, you know, initially people like um, Sid Mead, you know, so he, um, he, he's, I guess, came from like a set design sort of background mm-hmm. and uh, did like heaps of like Hollywood films, but he was like a futurist. So he would, you know, literally render on Canson paper. Canson paper is like cardboard, um, sort of like cardboard texture, but it's coloured. Right. And then you use coloured pencils to d- draw and render over it. But a lot of like old school Hollywood films used to just literally use hand-drawn pictures as green screen backdrops. Yep. And, uh, and so, you know, Sidney did all these things by hand. He did, like, the original Blade Runner. Um, so, you know, you start learning things like that. And then, yeah, you get into it a little bit more and you find people like Chip Foose and you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, this, this guy can not only draw and, you know, think of something in his brain, but he can then go into a workshop and make it. It's like, well, hang on, that's another level right that's there. That's a different world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's a – so you start to learn and, you know, and, and local local talent here – uh, one of my good mates, Leon, his dad, Brian Fitzpatrick, he's like the granddaddy of product design in Australia. Really? He's actually, yeah, he's actually the reason why there's even a degree here in here in Queensland. Um, he designed the original Stack Hat. Really? Yeah, the Urban Turban. You know, and that, was, that was done here. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yeah, by by an Australian. People yeah. don't even know. No. Yeah, you know, it's um. So and and you know, this is a product that is so iconic. You know, you show yep. any kid from the 80s or 90s a stack hat. <laughs> stack hat, like, Cool. <laughs> that was always on the handlebars. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. So that was done here. Yep, yeah. And that, that is that is one of the things like Australia has had, hey, we, we've built some iconic pieces of, of equipment. Yep. You know, things like um, Hill Soyce. Yeah. Like as a row of mowers yep. and things like that. We have done some pretty cool stuff here engineering-wise, hey. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think that that's an industry that should definitely be fostered more mm. um, here in Australia. I, I'm a really, really strong proponent that things things we consume here should be made here. Yeah. Um, which I know sounds kind of weird because – most of the time it's people, you know, who look like me who are making <laughs> our stuff in another country. But uh, but I, I really think it's about our own industry mm. and being able to produce things ourselves. It just it for me it just makes zero efficiency sense um, or environmental sense to dig a bunch of stuff out of the ground, ship it to somewhere else for them to reprocess it for us, turn it into a little product so that we can then click on it online to then order it and bring it back here. It, it, you know, and I'm not even talking about like it has to be mass scale stuff. Like I'm not even talking about we have to have, you know, you know, have Mitsubishi, you know, car manufacturing back here or anything like right. that. I'm talking, you know, like small industry stuff. Um, you know, we should we should really really capitalize on that. Because um, otherwise, yeah, you know, fifty, hundred years down the track, where are we going to be? There's going to be no skills. You know, like you, you can't. You already can't just go to you know go down to your local corner shop and say oh hey can you fix this for me no that doesn't exist and you know like there's a lot of resources and a lot of materials to make that thing you know one of the guys recently um, at work bought like a I think one of those like grill oven things or like a rice cooker type thing or whatever from like Kmart and I was like oh you know how much do you pay for it and they're like thirteen dollars I'm like thirteen dollars for all that yeah and I'm yeah. like someone is paying for that like. Obviously not us, like as the consumer, yeah. but someone is working in terrible conditions. Alternatively, environmentally, they're obviously that place is not Tor- wherever it's yeah, it's being torturing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's ruining the environment. Whatever it is, it's um someone is paying for that. And and I think I have no qualms with paying more for something if it's made here 
or if it's made in a really good way and if it lasts a long time. Mm. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. But the steps, like you're saying about the steps, like this step, you pull it out of the ground here to this part, to this part. There's surely, even in a large scale stuff, there's surely a better way. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. here. You yeah. know, I, I feel that there's got to be. So what? How, how do you go about from drawing to getting your hands dirty, doing the, the actual fabrication stuff? Did you Were you ever like into fab or how'd that start? Um, I'd probably say, yeah, my parents. Uh, my parents on the side of owning... Different... So they're restaurant people. They had restaurants. Yeah, so my, my parents had restaurants, but yep. on the side they also built houses. Oh, okay. Yeah, my dad's super handy. Right. Like my dad is like definitely a jack of all trades and a master of many. So no, no, whereas I would say I'm definitely a jack of all trades, but uh, probably. Master of few. Yeah, yeah. You know, I haven't quite made it to his level yet. Yeah. Like my my dad, you know, like single-handedly, you know, built built like our family home in Adelaide. You know, wow. Big house too, like big four, four-story house, you know, you know, like dug a dug a pool with his bare hands like he's just he's just like my dad's just like a super super hard worker yep um and my mum's incredibly creative so but she doesn't really tap into that side too much she's my my mum's very business orientated as well um but yeah like my mum's was an incredible painter um you know like a really good drawer and all that sort of thing and so so is my dad my my dad did a lot of drawing as a kid and, and all that sort of stuff but yeah so I think I get maybe some of that from them. But I guess design is always just a battle of communication. Right. So we can communicate like this, Yep. you know, verbal communication. I can draw something down and you, you can interpret that and go, ah, oh, I know what you're talking about, Leo. That's, that's what that is. Alternatively, you may not understand any of those things or alternatively, I might still need to figure out in my brain. So I'll run into the workshop, you know, bang a couple of things together and be like, look, this is kind of what I'm talking about. And then it's like, oh, okay, cool. I understand that. And then eventually when it becomes a final product, be it a motorbike or whatever, that's just a communication of expression. So it's this is how I see the world for this particular product and this is how I think it should – this is how I'm communicating to you as to how it should look, mm. feel and, and, and work and function as a as a product or a motorbike or, or whatever it is. It's like a language. 100%. This is the language I've spoken. Yep. This is what I'm putting out. Yeah. And within design there's different mm. languages as well. So you, you know you have like a minimalist sort of design, you'll have you know you, you go back to you know all the different sort of um, architectural sort of design um, you know phases so you you have like rococo, you'll have you know like uh, art nouveau, you'll have you know art deco. Mm-hmm. They're all different languages of the time. Um, I'd say right now, you know, we're sort of in like a post, you know, sort of modern minimalist sort of, uh, you know, sort of vibe. Of design era. Yeah, yep. yeah. A lot of geometric shapes and very clean lines. Um, and Apple can 100% be attributed to, to all of that. Like, you know, everyone, you know, back in the early 2000s when Apple launched the, the clear back uh, iMac. Mm-hmm. What happens, you know, all Nokia screen, you know, all, all Nokia phones, you had different like clip faces and, okay. and all that sort of stuff. And they're all clear faces that you could get. Everything changed, yeah. hey. Yeah. And, you know, and Apple's still definitely leading the way in terms of language uh, for design. You feel that, that they're, they, they're like the market leader? Uh, I definitely think that they're the market leader in terms of aesthetics for electronics. Okay. Um, I, I wouldn't say like, you know, for all products. Mm. Um, otherwise, yeah, we'd be driving around in 
like, I guess, Apple-styled cars, and I don't know how that would look. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it seems to it seems to me uh, the technology game, whether it be compute like laptops, probably laptops or phones, are the ones that lead the design charge in everything. Though, hey, just the evolving world is that? Would that be right? Yeah, probably. Like um, because they're the most highly consumed product, mm. and and as such, obviously, then they're advertised back to us. So then, so then that's what we see. They need to change. Yeah, yep. exactly. I would say there's a really big movement um, for more, you know, the electronics industry is terrible for, for environmental. Indeed. You know, just, you know so I, w- I would say that there's probably going to be a shift from that at some point. There has to be. Um, and you can see that a little bit in the fashion industry, um, in fashion design in particular. Fashion design is like the third worst polluting industry in the entire world really yeah yeah like fast fashion like is is horrible you know it's uh the you know you think when you drop a t-shirt off to you know like a lifeline or whatever it's ah cool yeah it's going to a good home you know it's like someone else is going to wear this or you know someone else is going to buy this no man that that stuff just gets bundled up put on a ship and then shipped out to somewhere to then be buried in landfill and like a t-shirt takes like hundreds of years to, to decompose to, 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 yeah. and, and not to mention that you know it's all you know generally made from cotton and you know, okay where's that cotton source from and all the pesticides made to you know so all of this is all cyclical um, but then you know you've got companies like Arcterix for example uh, who you know like they make really really expensive gear but at the end of life at the end of use you can sell your jacket back to them and then they'll fix whatever's damaged with it and they'll sell that as a secondhand item so you can start to see it's like, okay, well, there will be that, you know, Apple is doing it to a degree. You know, you can resell your phone back to them. They usually give you like $10 for it. <laughs> <laughs> they give you one, like one hundredth of the price. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, there, there's been concepts out there where, you know, you can literally hot dock your uh, your processor out. So you literally t- pull your processor out and put a new processor in and that's the only thing that changes, whereas the body of the phone stays the same, everything else all stays the same and mm. you just go in and, individually remove components and upgrade them, which I think is a more sustainable way to go. And Definitely. Yeah. So I think as as the, I guess, as the big player in the market, they really should have a, you know, I guess a, a bigger skew towards protecting the resources that we use. Makes sense because you imagine, I don't know the numbers, but imagine the product they're putting out. Mm. Made it be huge, and everyone at home has like about seven phones sitting in their drawer. Yeah, yeah. you know they're all, oh yeah, those my like first iPhone. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> I, I can't judge it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I can't yeah. say oh I don't do that because yeah, every, everyone's in the same boat. Yeah. So, but as a consumer, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to judge it. No. As a consumer, you shouldn't have to um, you shouldn't have to think oh should I buy this or should I not buy this. As a product designer, I should say this is what we're doing because of these reasons. Yep. And as product design becomes or industrial design becomes a, I guess, a, a, a longer running industry, it there's just more layers that gets added. Mm. So, you know, like really this started, I don't know, you could say around about the sort of industrial revolution, the first industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. Since it, initially it was, okay, we need to make this, how do we make products as efficient as possible? We need to make these things as cheap as possible so then we can sell them for as much as possible and make the most of them. Right. That was the only criteria. Yep. And then next minute it was, oh, okay, we need to make ours look different to the competitor's one. Okay, cool. Next minute there's human factors involved. Oh, well, ours is better to hold in the hand. Okay, well, so then there's an ergonomic um, innovation and an advantage over, over someone. 
then it's like, okay, well, ours is more sustainable. And then the next thing is, oh, well, you know, ours has the latest tech. So these are all things as an industrial designer you now have to think about constantly when you're designing something, putting pen to paper. So the brief's going from half a page yeah. to, to this huge thing. Yeah, to a huge document. Mm. And it, it is very interesting um, as, a, as a product designer looking at it because a lot of the time, and this is not me saying this, this is Dieter Rams who, again, is the grandfather of, of product design. He, uh, he spent most of his life designing for, for Braun, is how we say yep. it here in Australia, yeah. but it's pronounced brown. Right. Um, and he, you know, he he is the man who Apple looked to, who Jonathan Ives looks to wow. for design inspiration in terms of the, his aesthetic and, and all that sort of thing. But, you know, his, he has the Ten Commandments of design and the Tenth Commandment is as little design as possible. Just minimal. Well, not as in you probably sh- should that product even exist. Really? So, yeah, I mean, we have these conversations all the time at work. Yep. We're like, oh, man, this would be a great idea. We, we should do this. And then you, you mull over it and you, you think about it and you think, oh, man, we're going to have to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And it's like, mm, what, just so we can sell a few dollars worth of something? So I don't think that's a good product. Mm. It's like that's not really helping people or that's not really you know, whatever it is. And there's plenty of these products out there. I mean, you go to a $2 shop and, yeah. you know, you, you, you'll, you'll see heaps of these things. Yeah. But, you know, you've got to understand that they're, they're, they're taking resources out of the ground, making them into something which is effectively just going to become landfill, um, you know, sort of at the end of the day. Like the stands in the malls. Yeah, yeah, you know they're just selling junk. You yeah, know, I was walking through them all the other week, and there's this little thing that's flying through the thing. Look at yeah. this, and people lining up. I think this guy's going to sell a fortune of these. And yeah, that's all it is. It'll be landfill in two rides. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I can't hate the hustle because no. I understand that you know that person's going to make money sure. and they got to sell something. But as a product designer, we have a responsibility and yep. being educated in it. Mm. If if I wasn't educated in it. And um, and I was like, hey, I had this genius idea, and then went and you know went through the process and had it made. Okay, cool. I can't I can't blame you. Mm. But having had the education and you know having I think 15, 15 years in the game, it's like you start thinking, okay, well there is a larger social responsibility. It's like, oh, should this exist? Then there's the whole you know argument of, oh, well, if you don't design it, someone else will. It's like, okay, cool. We'll let someone else design it because. I don't want that on my conscience. Yeah, just leave that leave yeah. that path there. Yeah. So, we, we, mate, we haven't even touched – we're on a motorbike show. <laughs> we haven't even spoken of a motorbike yet. I'm just so intrigued in, in design. So does it go down the path of, like, colour theory and everything? Everything. Well? So colour theory, that's less than industrial designers. Um, okay. Bang. There are actual people out there, their entire job is a colour theorist. Mm. So the bigger the company you work for, the more silo the jobs become. Mm. Yep. The – so I, I went through uni in my fourth year of university. I decided I, I wanted to get like a taste of the real world. So what I ended up doing was um, ended up interning pretty much for free for an entire year uh, for arguably, or well, it was definitely Brisbane's largest industrial design company at the time. And, you know, then we ended up at the time growing to be bigger and, you know, top, top five, top ten maybe. Wow. Um, really, really good company. And I got to learn under some amazing people. and But we were a pure consultancy. So you had, you know, 10, 15 desks, everyone with double monitors, pumping CAD, drawing, and they were all industrial designers. Eat, live and breathe, that stuff. Wow. So that was really cool in the sense that you could see a product go through its entire life cycle and its entire journey. And then you could basically, I guess you could... 
you could learn a lot about heaps of different products. So that's sort of one model of design, which is consultancy. The other model is you end up working in-house and most consultants end up in-house eventually because you just get burnt out in, yep. in consultancy. You, you work 12, 16 hour days and you're smashing out really big projects. Whereas in-house, it's a bit more silo. So you'll have a color theorist, you'll have an ergonomist, you'll have an engineer, you'll have all of these people in a team and you'll work together and you basically, you know, go through and say, okay, cool. One thing about doing this, you know, what's your input in it? Those projects usually take a lot longer. So a great example is Breville, uh, an Australian company. Yep. You know, we all, we all know, you know, Breville. You go into... Uh, DJs or something like that to go buy something from Breville at the end of the day only four of the they only design four products a year all the rest of the products are all just sourced from wow. a, a manufacturer usually in China so this manufacturer will have just catalogs of kettles and then Breville will say oh, I'll, I'll take that one and we'll just have it in this colour with this branding and we'll have 10,000 of them whereas the team who look after all the design work for it they'll spend a year, two years, three years, four years designing a blender. And it'll be like the best damn blender. Yep. But usually that's the, you know, highest price blender it's, in their blender range. It's their signature item. Yes, yep. exactly. Wow. Yeah. So it's, when I say it can take you to all different places, it, it really can. Um, and you're now starting to see industrial designers venture into UI and UX. Um, so as a as an industrial designer, you, you learn, I guess, a lot of... Um, user-centered approach. So I'll put myself in you know, a customer's shoes and I'll say, oh, well, how would I interact with this product? I've never never seen one of these things before. I'm an alien that's just landed on, on Earth. Yep. I've never seen one of these things before. How do I interact with this? Oh, okay, cool. Oh, well, this thing moves. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, it moves. It turns. Oh, okay. I've turned it all the way and it turns on. Okay, cool. And so you, you kind of go through all of those processes in your head and you think, okay, well, semantically, how's that going to work? Form factor-wise, how's that going to work? Does it fit nice in the hand? Or a lot of our stuff that we design is, it's like table size, you know, and smaller. Mm. It's, uh, it's, whereas architecture is, you know, built environment. So we're actually inside the product. Whereas for industrial design, it's, we interact with it on a human scale. You're holding tangible holding item and that. Yeah. yeah. Touching, feeling, yep. looking. A lot of, and so it's it's just a different way of looking at things. So, you know, like sort of looking around the room here today, it's like, you know, I can look at something and be like, okay, well, that's how that's made. That's oh, made from that don't, material. Don't look how bad we're. <laughs> <laughs> don't get that's too great. judgy. Great. Nah. Great. But, you know, it's like yeah. you can, you start to see the world in a little bit of a different way. Mm. Um, yeah. So Do you turn off? Uh, not really. Mm. It's, uh, but I don't, I don't see it as a, I, I really don't see it as a job. Um, I really see it as a way as a kid, I've always wanted to be able to, I, I just think back like for one of my birthdays, I really want to make this water, um, balloon cannon. Right. And I had this idea in my mind, it was a piece of PVC tube and you drop the water balloons in and have a big slingshot and it'd shoot the water balloons out. Yep. But I had no concept of mechanically how to, how to make this thing. Had it all drawn out and everything. I'm talking like really young. Like, you know, I had it all drawn out and everything. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this, this can happen. Gonna, this is how I'm going to make it. This Just is how the I'm propulsion make it. Yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, but I had no idea how to actually physically put it all together. And I guess I never wanted to be in that position again. Mm. I wanted to be able to like dream of something and say, oh, okay, I can make that a reality. It might take a lot of hard work or it might take a lot of money or whatever. 
but I just want to be able to make whatever it is that enters my mind. Um, I have to be careful, I guess, sometimes because I can definitely dive into some like rabbit warrens. Like I'll just start, you know, <laughs> looking at something on Pinterest and I'll be like, man, that's kind of cool. And then I'll like next minute, like, you know, 12 hours later, I've like, I've got like, you know, a whole Pinterest folder. I've like started sketching stuff and, wow. and most of the time I just sort of put that away and I might come back to it in like in a month's time and I'm like, yeah, what the hell was I thinking? I'm like, well, I have no interest in this particular subject anyway. So I just wanted to draw something. So, yeah. Just the rabbit warren, just yeah. chasing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elon Musk, what do you think? Legend. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, you know, turn, it, turn the game. Yeah, 100%, hey. Yeah. So I was just I was interested to hear, like, your opinion on him as a, as a design sort of thing. What, what do you think of his, his products? Um, I think they're interesting um, in the sense that they – they push a different narrative. Mm. So it's uh, it's most of the time it's almost shock value narrative. So it's uh, whatever we need to do to sort of stay on the tip of people's tongue and and I can get that. Like That's a, a like a PR build. A little bit. Yep. I mean, you know, you look at the you look at the Tesla truck. Mm. It's like, okay, yeah, there's there's practical aspects about it. It's exactly the same reason as to why Defender, um, you know, the original Defenders, you know, had just big panels of aluminium. Yep. It was pretty much the same reason. But stylistically, it just looks so far removed. And I guess stylistically, it's such a just the position between that and, say, a Model S that I think people are like, oh, my gosh. Like, yes. yeah, so it's like, oh, whereas most car makers are now trying to build families. So, you know, you, you look at like a V-Dub range, for example. It's like, ah, oh, you can see a design language through for that. Sure. Um, whereas I think, yeah, Tesla, are, you know, they're changing the game in the sense. It's like, ah, no, it should it should reflect the the purpose. So this Ute shouldn't look like a Model S because it's not trying to go Model S speed. Yep. Although I'm pretty sure it probably will. It will. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this this thing's meant to be utilitarian. Yep. It's meant to be so that I can you know take it out and get it scratched or whatever, and I can change a panel and and click a different panel on. Cost me a lot of money to change that battle. So but. cool! <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I really do. I think it looks cool. Yeah, I think it's um, it's an absolute game changer if it goes ahead. Yeah, and it will go ahead. There's no doubt. Yeah, but and, uh, and what a cool story for for someone like him. You know, started PayPal. Yeah, and, you know, and then it's like, oh, cool. I like cars. I like rockets. Yeah, you know, and just like being flamethrowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's 100 like the actual real life Iron Man. Yeah, so he's yeah, yeah he's a weapon. I, yeah. I I really really enjoy listening to him. Yeah, um, yeah he he's a, yeah incredible, yeah. incredible human, and it'd be good to have another five or six of him. Yeah, floating around. It'd be interesting to see where where we go. Yeah, definitely. So, and they're around, yeah. obviously, no doubt. But uh, he's just in the mainstream. You know, you get to see him. So yeah, what motorcycles? Um, like let's talk motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> It's I don't know I I guess it probably just goes back to my childhood I guess so something from a kid uh, biker mice from Mars oh no that. we are the same age <laughs> yeah. um I don't know I just uh, never had motorbikes as a kid I didn't even know anyone with a motorbike mm -hmm. as a kid um uh, I don't know it's just just one of those things I think um I it's always a cool thing when you see it in popular culture. Mm. So, you know, like I get cartoons. It's always the cool people, you know, who are riding a motorbike. Um, you know, movies. 
Terminator 2. I was about to say Terminator 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, uh, that's so iconic, I think, for people our age. It is. Um, you know, in cool stunt movies, there's, mm. it's, it's always, you know, the baddies are always riding motorbikes, but they're always going super fast. Yep. Um, I, I never understand why the car just doesn't stop. Mm. I just, I just sort of think that's the, you know, that would be the one thing you just stop and the, the bike would obviously hit yeah. the car. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, logical doesn't always. <laughs> but you know, movies like um, Jackie Chang, like I think, uh, you know, Armor of God two, he rides like a YZ mm. in that. It's you know, like just cool popular culture references. I um, I saved up all of my money, so I used to work for my parents. You no, know, used to work in the restaurant, so you know, I started working for them. I think probably in grade five. Wow. Um, you know, family, like, you know, we had family run businesses. Yep. So you do whatever you can do to help. Um, so, you know, like I, I remember the first thing I really wanted to buy was a, was a mountain bike as a, you know, this is, you know, right when hardtail mountain bikes were becoming a thing. This was like, you know, becoming a mass. Just post BMX. Yeah. Yeah. Hardtail coming. You remember it? We mm. were the same age. So, you know, mm. like I had this crappy, crappy old BMX. And I was like, oh, you know, I want to try to sell this thing for money. And so I was like, I'll, I'll clean this up. And I, like I spray painted it. I thought it was a fantastic paint job. <laughs> <laughs> the guy at Cash Converters didn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, uh, my parents drove me around with, I think, three or four Cash Converters. And the, the best price I could get for this thing was about 15 bucks. And, uh, and I think I needed to get to like $300 and something dollars for this like, mount, wow. this like crappy Kmart mountain bike, yep. which I thought was the best because I picked it out of the lot. And I was like, all right. So I eventually sold it. I think to I think I think my grandma bought it off off me to give to my cousin because she was sick and tired of being in the car with us. But anyways, so I <laughs> saved up. Cash yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like I uh, I saved up heaps of money, and my parents were like, look, if you if you, if you want to help out, you can you know you can come work yep. you know with us you know like after school and stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. So I did that, saved up some extra money, went and bought this push bike, and it was the best thing. And, you know, my parents, are, you know, they were migrants to this country. They didn't speak a word of English when they first came here. My parents worked incredibly hard. Like I, I look at myself and I think, oh, geez, I got it. I got it. Like, I got it. I'm lazy. You know, like, I got it lucky. Like my parents, you know, literally worked seven days a week, 18 hours a day, you know, raising two kids. And so, you know, like this push bike used to go in the back of the car and I'd ride around in the car park all the time. And then, you know, Every now and then, I'd jump in and help mum and dad. You know, do do some stuff. Um, they they ran the police club in Adelaide originally, so that was uh, they don't exist anymore because of corruption issues with the police. So what was it? Like, yeah, tell me what what's a police club? So essentially, it's a club, restaurant, pub. Ah, oh. just for police. Really? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Right. I'm sure other people could go in there as well. Yeah. Um, but it but was, the corruption took over. <laughs> I, I just think a lot of people, you know, like they used to have that saying, you can't trust a cop who doesn't drink. Right. So like they would all go there, like yep. after a shift or whatever, they would be, you know, standing around drinking and and they were incredibly nice. Like I actually wanted to be a cop because yep. of it because these these people were genuinely really nice people. But then I think obviously, you know, you get a couple of bad eggs and they're like, look, we got to any, – anything seen like this, we got to get rid of it. So my parents managed that uh, for, for quite a while. Wow three or four levels and they did functions and all that sort of stuff. So every cop in Adelaide got married at the police club. So, you know, as a kid on a Saturday afternoon after after cricket or whatever, yeah. you know, whatever <laughs> sport I decided to choose that summer, uh, I would go help my parents clean up, you know, 
the 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 function and it'd be like broken records and like cake and stuff everywhere and be like 200 people had been through this place and so wow. you go through and clean up all that stuff but um i remember chicken parmigianas i used to have to make chicken parmigianas all the time <laughs> so you know i'd do the bread crumbing and all that sort of stuff so even now like if you know like my wife's like I feel like a chicken parmesan. If I'm at home making it, I'm yep. like, man, this just takes me back to being like a, you know, a, a grade four, grade five <laughs> kid, uh, you know, making money to, to, you know, fund my bicycle habit. And uh, so, yeah, but anyways, so I guess, you know, from, from there, I, I kind of developed, I guess, a passion for, for yep. riding and riding push bikes and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and then I kept working for my parents in varying restaurants and all that sort of stuff right up until sort of, yeah, third or fourth year uni. Mm. And um, by sort of by the end of high school, I had enough money to go buy a car and uh, and I went all out. I bought a Silvia 15. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I... Oh, you and Hewan, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Steve. Steve's a Nissan man as well. Oh, is he yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Uh, you'll have to get him on so he can talk to you about his Nissan. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll butcher any specs that okay. I want it. I'm... Uh, <laughs> I buy things because they look good. Yep. They just usually happen to be like all right in other ways as well. Yeah, right. So what got me on the uh, S15 was just the tail, like that 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 rear the tail, tail. Light. yeah, the yeah. tail lights and the, and how flat that section was. I was like, man, this is a sick car. I think I bought the second one in Brisbane. I bought it from a dealership. Like literally, this is all of my money, like that yep. I'd saved up from you wow. know as a kid. Not having any expenses or anything like that. So like, non-import oh. one, proper legit. No, no, it was a full, full S fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. yeah. Um, cool car. Yeah, and then uh, I guess how it how it became a motorbike is that uh, it sort of maybe ended up in an accident. No. <laughs> so, what happened? Uh, look, the story to the insurance company is that I had new tires put on, which I did. And um, and I was just turning a corner, and it just it just slipped yep. out, and uh, next minute ended up in a ended up in a gutter. So, and you know, before anyone says it had nothing to do with the fact of my cultural background and me driving. <laughs> <laughs> so gold, no, gold. it's um no, it just it was just one of those things. Yep. It was just you know me being young and, and yeah. silly and Happens. stuff. Yeah, and uh, so you know, I think I did the community a service because it just means that they're rarer yep. and you know the 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 demand is going to be higher for them mm. so what color do you have pewter what's pewter uh the the silver the silver silver yeah, silver gray one nice. that, that's how it was pe- uh, pitched as, it? as a pewter color pewter. Yeah. um so they had that in the canary yellow the and then red. they had the black and red yep and they had the blue as mm. well oh nice car they were an awesome car and mm. uh and i still think that i might rebuy another one yeah uh, cool but you just got to try to find one that doesn't you know been around a drift track yeah. and, <laughs> and been flogged. Yeah, or into a gutter. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Cool. Yeah, look, looking back, I probably should have kept the wreck. Mm. Um, but anyways, I... So it was a write-off? It was a full write-off. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Airbags, I think, were about that far away from uh, from deploying in my Ooh. face. So, yeah, it was, it was like, proper yeah, gone. Yeah, she's gone. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was without a car for quite a while. Yep. And um, I was just driving around in my dad's Pajero and, yep. you know, thinking, man, this sucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nothing against Pajeros. I think, you know, full drives are cool. Yeah, but you just come out of your car that you love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, I started looking straight away. I was like, okay, cool. You know, what car am I going to buy next? And and um, and then I was like, oh, you know, do I buy another S15? Do I buy Skyline? You know, you know, what do I buy? Yep. Um, and then a mate of mine just happened to hand me a Monster Children magazine. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I don't know if they exist anymore, but it was this weird format, like sort of uh, landscape A4 format magazine. It was quite popular and sort of like had a lot of surf content, just a lot of sort of popular con- um, culture content in yeah. it. I remember turning to the page and I was like, what the hell is this motorbike? And I was already looking at motorbikes sort of at the time because I was like, oh, I need an easy way to still get to uni, sort of go from home to uni to then to the consultancy to intern. Um, so, you know, I was kind of doing that. And I need something that's really you know easy for parking because parking the cars are terrible for yeah. you know, around where, well, one, for uni, but then also two at the consultancy. And, uh, and so, yeah came across this bike and I was like, man, this is rad. This looks nothing like the other bikes that I've seen. And it was a Deus bike. Ah. So this was literally a month after they started. And uh, and I was like, that's what I'm buying. So I, I jumped on the phone, or like I, I jumped on their website. I think they still had a holding page at, wow. the sta- at this stage. They, they had nothing on there. And I was like, man, this is cool. And so I called up and was like, hey, I want to buy one of these bikes. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, well, we, we don't have any stock. Like we kind of, we're, gonna build them and then and then sort of ship them to people I was like, all right cool and i was like how do i do this what do i do and they were like oh well, we don't have any like formal process at the moment and they're like oh we're kind of only really building it for people in sydney so i was like all right okay cool all right hung up the phone booked the plane ticket flew down to sydney i think on a friday after or saturday saturday morning yeah. bright and early saturday morning went to the day of shop and like Dare Jennings is still hanging up like motorcycle jackets. Him, him and his wife, they're still setting the place up. Wow! And um, and I met with this guy. I'm pretty sure his name was Sean. Really, really nice dude. And um, and he was one of their kind of like sales guys that they had on at the time. And he kind of walked me through a few of the bikes that they had on there. And I was like, oh, I want that one. It was a TW200. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and he's like, okay, cool. And he walked me through all the different options. And um, so, you know, I got the extended swing arm. I got, you know, this little peanut tank. I, I just went like all out. Yep. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. Like, you know, I want to pick all this stuff. And so I rode that around for, I think, two or three years. Wow. Um, I loved it. That was an awesome little bike. Did you ride it back up to, or did you get it shipped? I didn't. No. Um, I, I happened to tell Dare that I was from Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hang on, you've flown all the way from Brisbane to come <laughs> buy this bike. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, oh, I think we'll ship it up to you for free. I was like, okay, cool. Wow. And this is before Deus bikes had Deus written on them. Right. So this was like, people were like, what is this thing? So like, I'd be riding around and people would just be like leaning out the windows, giving me thumbs up. And, and I started getting into it more like, okay, where is this aesthetic come from? And, mm. You know, like, like, what is this? So then come to learn that Dare Jennings had obviously spent a lot of time with Mambo in Japan. And that how this was a full aesthetic and a full movement in Japan mm-hmm. to kind of like make mini replicas of what they saw happening, you know, sort of in the UK, you know, in terms of, you know, building cafe races and all that sort of stuff. And then they wanted to mimic that, but they didn't have the English bikes to build from, but mm-hmm. they had obviously all the Japanese bikes. So, you know, this was like a huge subculture in Japan. Um, so I was like, cool, I want to go to Japan. Yeah. So... Um, Right as I finished uni, I um, I thought, oh, look, I've gone through all this schooling, I've gone through university, I'm about to go get a job. I would love to spend, you know, like a couple of weeks in Japan. I want to have a holiday and I want to go check out all these cool motorbikes. Um, at the time, uh, I'd sort of just started dating my wife. Mm-hmm. And so we had like one date. And then the second date, I think I was like, hey, you want to come to Japan with me? Wow. And she was like, 
this seems a bit weird. we'd known one another through uni. She was a year below me, so okay. she's a industrial designer as well. Yep, that's how much I love design. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so yeah, we we ended up um, going to Japan, and yeah, we spent a lot of time like checking out motorbikes and, and all that sort of stuff. And and she was cool with it. Yep. Um, her whole family rides, mm -hmm. and not I didn't know any of this when I when I oh when really I first started yep. dating her. She's like oh yeah yeah. She's like yeah my dad's into bikes, my brother's into bikes. My granddad was into bikes. Um, Carolyn's granddad actually hand-built a, a Harley from scratch. He ordered parts from like a catalog mm. way back in the day. And he built a like a 1929. Now, I always get this wrong. Um, either the more popular ones are singles and he's built a twin or the more popular ones are twins and he's built a single. Uh, so it's very rare. Yep. Um, I think when Ross had it... Um, uh, registered there was only one other one in australia and this thing's you know got like a um you know got like a magnesium lamp and like it's proper old school like yeah. you trim it on the you know on the handlebars and wow yeah, it's unrideable yeah <laughs> too yeah too antique yeah yeah, yeah 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 but no but ross actually rides it does uh, he Callens, yeah so my, my father-in-law he, he he rides it around and stuff and wow i just sort of think far out like it's uh it's very cool so she actually came from like a motorbiking family and so she could understand like the capture of it for me. Mm. Like as soon as I started getting into it, I was like, wow, this, is, this is really cool. And, and from a designer's perspective, it's almost the, well, for me at least, it's, it's the ultimate product in the sense that you can't hide too much. So some products you can hide things. You're like, ah, eh, you know, like you need a, you know, I don't know, there's a, there's a PCB or there's a there's cables or whatever you can hide a lot of stuff mm -hmm. with a motorbike it's very honest um, particularly naked bikes they they they're quite honest you you can't sort of be like oh we're just going to have this like cable running through here it's like oh, wouldn't it look better if it ran through the handlebars and you couldn't see it at all it's mm. a lot cleaner and so there's there's a, there's a purity about it that I really like and also I guess at Elspeed at least um, you know we we only build you know, we, we build one-offs for, for people. We build a bike and that's for the client. It's tailored made for them. And that's a unique experience in itself, which you're not going to get when you're producing 5,000 off on a product. You don't, you never, most of the time you don't even see the end consumer. You're like, okay, you see it in the shelves when mm. you're at a shop. You're like, oh, cool. Yeah. There's, there's a whole rack of the stuff that came out of my brain on that, on that shelf. But you get no interact, no human interaction, um, and we've been really, really fortunate. The, the customers that we've had are, are amazing people, and they've allowed us to express ourselves with their input um, and create something together with them. And, and that's something that we that you don't get on the other side of product design. Mm -hmm. So it's probably more the arts and crafts side, whereas the design stuff that we do is probably still more leaning towards the science engineering side. So makes sense. Yeah. Definitely makes sense. So how, how did you go from riding this TW200 to owning Ellispeed? <laughs> so you and Steve met in uh, uni? Uni, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So yeah, Steve and I met at uni. Um, we we left uni. I worked at the consultancy. Steve actually worked for a, uh, a medical design company. So they were doing um, – they were making like artificial sort of like eyeballs and artificial hearts and stuff so that surgeons could train to learn how to – do operations and procedures. Wow. So, again, the diversity of design. Yeah, yep. um, And I was in this consultancy 
yeah, 12, 16 hours a day working on weekends. Um, I was very, very fortunate um, to end up at CMD, which was the consultancy, and I was very, very fortunate to end up under the tutelage and mentorship of my good mate, Neil. Um, he's my good mate now. He was my mentor then. Um, Neil taught me a lot and, and he's an avid motorbike rider. Um, right. A very, very, very good motorbike rider. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so he kind of spurred that along in me a little bit more. So, we'd be, you know, we'd go riding, we'd go camping with the boys at work and you know, we'd ride and all that sort of stuff. Yep. And um, a lot of the guys there were all just a little bit older. So family, kids, mortgage. Mm. Um, so I kind of was this sort of fresh uni student, you know, just like, I guess, you know, the office jokester. Because, um, <laughs> you know, I'd be like, ah, man, you guys are so old and you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and I guess it kind of dawned on me one day, like I sort of stuck my head up out of my little sort of cubicle area and I was like, man, yeah, I'm, I guess that's next, isn't it? Like, you know, I'm dating this really cool chick and, you know, like, I guess, you know, yeah, you'd get married and then you'd, and then you'd have kids and then, and then I guess, yeah, I just keep doing design stuff. And then I was like, hmm, I wonder if I should like do something else before that all happens. Right. And so for, for me, I was kind of like, oh, you know, like, and sort of at the time I was interested in doing more stuff with my hands as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they don't tell you in product design at university is that uh, you're probably spending 10% of your time actually designing and 90% of your time managing Excel spreadsheets. Wow. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, Behind the scenes, non glitzy, non glamorous stuff. There's like a lot cataloging of cataloging, sort of all sorts of stuff. Everything. Like, yeah. yeah, cataloging stuff, you know, like reading spec sheets of particular materials. You know, like, okay, what's the UV rating on a particular plastic? How long is that going to last? You know, okay, what additives can be added into it? So there's this whole under sort of level of stuff that happens before a product ever ends up on market. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was a, there was a lot of that, that, um, that I was kind of like, Oh yeah, it's cool because I'm learning a lot. And, and that, that whole place was just a, it was a, it was steel sharp and steel type thing. Like all of those guys who were there were all guns. Yep. Like you, 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 you weren't invited into the consultancy unless you were, you know, all right. On top of um, their game. Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, I, I, me and another couple of good buddies of mine like we all graduated like top of our class at uni uh, I, f- I feel like I talked my way into CMD <laughs> <laughs> and then, I just, then I just faked it <laughs> and then yeah. they just fell in love with me so yeah. then they were like oh, I can't get rid of Leo <laughs> yeah he's got to stay <laughs> yeah exactly yep. um, you know like and, and most of those guys all own their own consultancies now mm-hmm. and they're, they're all very very successful um, but yeah for, for me it was a lot of bit kind of like um, I, I don't know if that's the direct path in which it just seemed too set out, mm. I guess. And so I was kind of like, you know, building this like hobby workshop at home. And I look back now, I think, man, you had no idea what tools you were buying. Leo. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, that looks cool. I'll buy that. Like, yep. That's a good design. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. I'm like, oh, that looks cool. Yep. Like, you know, I think at one stage I was looking at Porsche design tools. Wow. And I'm like, really, at the end of the day, as long as the tool does its job, who needs a Porsche yep. design tool? Ducati <laughs> um, so, do. Um, all Ducati bikes are built with Porsche um, design are they? tools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So, but anyways, that's a, that's a side note. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I, you know, I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. You know, I want to build stuff. And, and, you know, my dad being sort of like quite handy, I always just thought my dad 
sort of in, like some of my favorite memories of me and my dad are like, oh, let's go to the hardware store. Like going to Mitre 10 as a kid um, and now go to Bunnings yeah. <laughs> as an adult. Oh, you've turned and, over. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, like that's like that was it. Like I used to always follow my dad like on weekends yeah. and stuff. Like we'd be going to, going to Mitre 10, going to the hardware store and like look at tools and I'd be like, oh, man, that's cool, that's cool. And, you know, so, you know, I started collecting and, you know, wanting to just make stuff at home. And then I started sort of working, tinkering a little bit on the Deus bike. And then I was like looking at it and I was kind of like, oh, I guess this is kind of just another product. And I started looking into, I guess, more designers who had designed motorbikes. So guys like Glenn Kerr. So if you've owned a sports bike in the 90s, this man designed it. Mm-hmm. Um, now everyone rides around on a Kiska design motorbike. So they designed for KTM, they designed for you know uh, Husqvarna, they designed for pretty much everyone. Um, so yeah, I, I started looking into that world a little bit more and I was like, oh, that's really cool. And you know, this is almost around about the peak of American chopper and all that sort of stuff. And then, and then I started looking into things and I'm like, wow, there's these guys called like Arlen Ness and Mm. Indian Larry. And and then, you know, looking into all these like Japanese builders and I'm like, wow, these guys are so cool. Like, you know, they, they can materialize what they're thinking and their process is different. You know, a lot of the times these guys aren't. I guess classically trained as a product designer, but they're they're like I can see the form in this flat piece of metal, and then they make that happen. Mm. And I guess for me, you know, I can see I, I know what the end product's going to look like. Usually, I you know sketch it out a few times first to be like, okay, cool, that's the way I want it want it to be. But I was missing that step in terms of being able to ex- again communicate myself in a three dimensional form as to how you know, that would look, I could CAD it. That's not a problem. Um, but getting someone to make that CAD, that was an issue. Right. So uh, 2009, um, I just, I was, I'd said to Steve, I was like, uh, you know, we, we were just sort of catching up. So there was a good core group of us at uni who, you know, sort of all, you know, used to sort of catch up and stuff every now and then. And I was catching up with Steve over some pizza and I was like, oh man, I, I really kind of really like want to get in building motorbikes and, you know, I want to just sort of build one for myself and, and see what that's like. And, and, you know, I wouldn't mind like, you know, designing products that don't necessarily have a client attached. And I was like, oh, you know, it'd be really cool to, you know, have a business where you could design a product where you saw there was a need in the market for it, being able to produce it, being able to back it yourself. Because at this stage, I really wanted to know what it was like post-design how do you sell a product? How do you market yep. a product? How do you, you know, how do yeah, you that next day? Yeah, how do you stock yep. inventory a product? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I had no idea about any of this sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I'd be interested in that. And Steve just happened to be sort of almost uh, wrapping up with the medical consultancy yep. that he was working with. And he was like, man, that sounds like a cool idea. Like, you know, we, maybe we could do something sort of with that. So the idea was that we design products and then, you know, muck around with cars and motorbikes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, sort of in our spare time. So we set up a studio at the back of my house. I was still working at the consultancy at the time. Um, my parents sort of, you know, you can't run 12, 16 hours a day, seven days a week working without your body, you know, copping or hiding. Yep. My parents' health sort of started to deteriorate a tiny little bit. Mm-hmm. So I then sort of helped out managing the restaurant at night. And then on weekends, I would basically be committing all of my energy and effort 
to to Helliver, the design studio, and then we we had no idea what we were doing with the motorbikes. We were just mucking around, really. That was just a kind of fun little project that we were doing yep. on the side. So I was kind of doing all of that all at the same time whilst trying to date my now wife. Yeah. Um, she was very understanding. <laughs> <laughs> she was a very, very lovely girl. Jeez, you were splitting your time, eh? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, mm. but, you know, that's... That's how it I is. Th- I think when you're young as well, you're kind of like, ah, yeah, I'm enthusiastic. I can yep. do this. When else am I going to do it? When I get older, I'm not going to have the energy, so I might as well burn the burn the candle at both ends. Yep. <laughs> and now. Yeah, let it happen now. Yep. Um, so... Any money that Steve and I made through that business, we basically poured straight back into building up the workshop. And Steve's a lot older than me. Um, maybe I shouldn't say it like that. Steve's a lot more mature <laughs> and uh, he's, he's, he's got a few years on me, okay? Um, you made him out yeah. like he's like... <laughs> <laughs> he's not ancient. He's not ancient. He's not ancient. I help Steve yeah. into yeah. the shop each day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, no, no. He's, uh, he's he's definitely not that old. No. Um, but he uh, and he's very youthful. He's very youthful looking. Um, if uh, pe- people, if they, you want to know the secret to being youthful, be a vegetarian because because uh, that's what Steve is, and uh, and he's very youthful. Yeah. So I was kind of doing all of those things. Yep. Um, at the same time, and I eventually left uh, CMD, and and those guys were great. I had nothing to do with them. It was more sort of about me and my life journey and what yep. did I sort of wanted to, to do. So Steve and I thought, oh, you know, we're doing motorbikes, you know, what's a real need product out there? And started looking at a few things yep. that are on a, on a, on a motorbike. And, um, and we were like, geez, retro labels are pretty ugly, aren't they? And so we're like, oh, you know, maybe there's something there, you know, maybe we could sort of, you know, revamp what a retro label holder looks like. Mm-hmm. So you gotta understand we only had a set amount of money mm. that we had. We wanted to build up a bit of a workshop and we knew the cost of, I guess, proper productionizing something. It's not a small amount of money. And so we're like, okay, let's pick something small, manageable, minimal parts and a process in which we can control. So we're like, okay, cool. All right, well, you know, we'll... um, We'll, we'll look at these little rego holders and so we ended up making these little tubed ones and you know there are others on the market like CNC machined and, yep. and all that sort of stuff and we're like oh, okay well you know we can we can mass manufacture that process quite easily instead of CNC machining we're going to die cast these things and we're going to produce 5,000 in one hit so we designed this product up made several prototypes we had some level of innovation in it as well um, you know Retro labels always get torn off in in the bush and, yep. and all that sort of stuff. So although ours was die cast, we had a um, over molded section in it that was uh, that was rubberized. Mm-hmm. So these things would just flick out of the way, and so you'd never get a retro label getting torn off in the bush. Uh, and they were nice; they were nice little little products. And uh, so we produced five thousand of them, and then Steve and I had five thousand of them in this back room of my house to wow. assemble. Yep. Two computers, two telephones, and just on the phone every day. So our morning consisted of this massive list of shops to call, call them. Nah, mate, I don't want that shit. <laughs> and then you know, eventually you get through ten, and, and you one be oh, I was send me send me a couple, send me a couple. I'll see what they look like. Send a couple. I'd be oh, this is pretty good. Send me some more. Mm. And you know, they they did pretty well. Um, so a lot of shops put them on premium bikes. So they were, you know, instead of crappy little plastic um, holder. So we must have sold through like two or 3,000 of these things. 
all hand assembled by us. Um, we, I have no idea why we did this, but we offered a chrome range. And in order to get them chrome, because we didn't want the environmental impacts of chrome, we decided to polish them. So these were die-cast aluminium. So Steve and I would be down and oh, in the no. workshop underneath the studio, hand polishing these things um, and then putting them together. And, um, and then, yeah, and eventually we got pretty much towards the end of the 5,000. And, you know, we'd made a little profit, but all that profit was put straight back into the workshop. So we were yep. buying all sorts of tools. Um, you know, we bought a mill and we converted that into a CNC machine. Um, so, you know, we, you know, put, put, um, put motors on it and everything. We had it all running and we did all this stuff. And we, you know, filled it all out and, uh, and fitted it up. And the idea was, you know, we're kind of building these two bikes at the same time. And, uh, and yeah, and we sort of were getting to the end of that product and the floods hit. So we started in late 2009, it took us about a year to sort of, Yep. You know, do this. Meanwhile, I was still working at the restaurant and sort of doing this this stuff part time. Steve was working part time as well, and we were, we were only sort of really coming together a couple of days a week in 2010. Yeah, and then 2011 floods hit. Everything that we'd put into that workshop just whoosh, out the door, um, gone. Uh, <laughs> torture, right? So caked in mud. So like, just things things couldn't be resurrected almost. I guess. Um, so, and we, we lost a heap of stuff as well. Like, you know, bits of a motor would just, you know, floated away and mm. all that sort of thing. And uh, so my house was trashed, workshop was trashed, uh, got no insurance for it. Um, and we had this little business that we'd started and I was pretty much like, ugh. <laughs> let's yeah, just, I'm off it. Yeah, yeah, let's just finish off these couple of projects, like these couple of bikes, shake hands, be on our way and, you know, I'll probably go get a job at a, another consultancy or yep. something like that. That was, you know, that's the heaven's way of telling me that this is a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Follow the path. Exactly. So we were like, okay, cool. And so we, we ended up, um, funnily enough, the studio portion of the house was the only part that didn't get flooded. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of like a split level house. So I ended up gutting the front and then basically moving the studio there and then moving myself and Carolyn to the, to the studio at the back. And, uh, and then Steve and I were kind of <laughs> in, a, in the front of this house with no jib rock on the walls, two tables and a crap ton of product all these, all these retro tube label <laughs> holders that we'd stuck into the ceiling because yep. we were scared that, you know, obviously the water was going to rise even further. We pulled all that out. So we're just fulfilling the last of these orders. And one of our, um, I guess, one of our highest uh, purchasing clients at the time, they, they were like, oh, Leo, we think this is a really good product and we think you can build a suite of products off the back of this. And we're like, oh, yeah. Man, we're we're you know we're not doing this. We're, if anything, we're probably going to maybe even turn around and wind yep. this down. And they're like, "Well, how about we buy that product range off you?" And we're like, "Okay, cool. Like that sounds cool." Um, so they bought the rights to the product, and as a part of that, we were to help them produce another five thousand, not handmade by ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this time was a little bit different, so we we did it proper, which is um, actually getting getting the a fulfill well not a fulfillment company, but a company who in China who could assemble stuff. Um, so these were made in China at the time because we couldn't get anyone to do such a small volume of die casting here yep. for such a small part. Mm. So we had to do it over there. So basically, yeah, flew over um, and had 
just hired all these random people to like assemble these things. So you went to a factory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've done heaps of factory visits mm. um, as a part of either working in the consultancy or as a part of hell of a, And this is kind of the... I'm a massive advocate of manufacturing in Australia mm. and I really, really want to have that all here. There are just some things that we just don't do here anymore, yeah. which is a, such a shame because I would love to use, you know, gym down the road or, or mm. whatever. Um, and where we can, we definitely do. So we, we still have a lot of parts that we make here, which are locally made and then we assemble at Ellerspeed. Um, or slash Helliver, depending on sort of what the product is. So we, we definitely still do that. Yep. But there are just some things where expertise no longer exists. Yeah, yeah. And it's like all those old heads who have built in knowledge in their brain never got passed down to another apprentice because, I don't know, that particular job was deemed undesirable or, you know, whatever. Just, Gets made redundant. Yeah, you know, that, that sort of thing. and Or, yeah, you know, like the... Mitsubishi factory, for example, you know, mm. like that, that, that goes under and then it's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, all of that knowledge in all of those people's assembly who work on the assembly line, who fit everything together, like these are not robots. These are people who know something very specific yep. and they have a, a quite a broad knowledge of that thing. Mm. That's all just lost. 100%. And so that's what happens when you ship it overseas. So Unfortunately, yeah, we have to go over there sometimes and say, oh, you know, either to China or somewhere else because they have the expertise in producing that particular type of manufacturing method. Um, so, yeah, I was over there with a with a, literally an assembly line of people and uh, and I was there as quality control manager and checking every single one. So we delivered 5,000 of these products um, to this client and then we did some more design work. And, and Steve and I were like, look, we got to finish these couple of bikes that we, that we started. And... Um, and at the time, we didn't have like a lot of technical skill in terms of how to make a lot of things. So we went around to different places, uh, to fabrication shops, and we we're like, "Oh, hey, could you guys make this?" And you know, a couple of places we went to, like they were, they were clearly um, fronts for other other activities. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> so you'd go to this place that was like, "Oh, you know, this is a custom shop," but you know, it was, it was very geared towards a particular style. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't the style of bike that we were we were trying to build. Yep. And so, you know, we'd sort of go in there and we'd, you know, we'd made a foam like representation, like we'd Steve at hand shaped a foam buck of, of a of a tank and we'd had drawings and everything, you know, to communicate what we wanted. And you'd get these guys like just look at you like, What? You want that? Nah, mate, I'm not making that for you. It's like, you know, unless it's like teardrop, you know, with yep. flames and skulls, I ain't interested and and all that sort of thing. It's like, okay, that's cool. You know, like that's your style, um, you know, whatever. Okay, so we shopped around. No one would make anything for us. So we're like, okay, cool. I guess we're just going to have to learn how to make these particular things ourselves if we want to see these projects all the way through. Mm-hmm. And and we're both very much um, the type of people who want to see something finished all the way. Yep. Um, it may sometimes take a long time, but we, we want to see an end to it. So we we ended up building these two bikes. So we built a we built a CB three fifty um, as as a donor bike, but not much CB three fifty left of this thing. So handmade tank, guard seat, everything had all this internal wiring and all this sort of stuff. And we're like, oh man, this is pretty cool. And uh, and we built an XR six hundred yep. and built that into sort of like a street tracker sort of type look uh, with like a real sort of muscle car like Cuda sort of uh, you know paint scheme on it and all that sort of stuff. And we were like, oh, you know, this is kind of cool. And, and the plan was just to ride that around and, and all that sort of thing. 
and then some friends of friends, um, as it usually happens in the design industry. One f- uh, one friend's sister, so my now my now mate Leon, who I didn't know at the time. Um, his sister was a curator of a gallery, um, a gallery called Artisans Gallery, and they right. used to be based right on Brunswick Street um, in the valley. And they're like, oh, hey, we heard you guys made some motorbikes and they look kind of different and, you know, like, would you guys be interested in having them in the gallery um, for, for like a couple of months? And we're like, oh, yeah, sure, all right, whatever. No website, no nothing. Um, Steve and I were like, oh, maybe we should call them Helliver Bikes because we had the consultancy Helliver. Mm-hmm. And so wanting to sort of do things correctly and, and sort of, you know, like not wanting to tread on people's toes or whatever, we were like, oh, let's do it like a, a trademark search. So we submitted for a trademark for Helliver, but unfortunately clashed with a jet boat company in Adelaide. Oh, really? Um, that had Helliver jet boats or something. And yep. so they were like, oh, look, no, nah, too close. Not going to let that fly. So, oh, okay, all right, well, let's just come up with a name because you can't just have like, Stephen Leo, like in his art gallery, yeah, like it, just, it just seemed really weird that we're like, oh, let's put something to it. Yep. So like, uh, I don't know. Uh, and so we floated around a few names and we liked the Ella, like Hellover part of it. Mm. So we're like, oh, Ella. And then we're kind of like, oh, what if Ella was a girl who liked riding motorbikes and like going really, f- really fast? And it's kind of like, oh, well, Ella at speed. And then it's kind of like, and then the idea of beauty. So Bella, beauty, mm-hmm. beauty at speed. So we're kind of like, okay, well, these are functional pieces that actually work, but they're art pieces. Yeah, okay, cool, Ellerspeed, that sounds great. So we just like slapped the Ellerspeed thing on there and put them in the show. And um, that that single thing, I would say, is the reason as to why Ellerspeed exists today. That gallery. That gallery, yeah, 100%. I thank them all the time. Yeah, Um, yeah, like we – they just had people – and you got to – this is 10 years ago, so there's – there's Deus, there's mm-hmm. people in Japan, and there's wrench monkeys. Um, it's a big culture coming through of bikes. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's so there's but there's not too many people in Australia doing it, mm-hmm. and suddenly it's on this street where ten thousand cars go past every morning, and there's just dudes like snapping their neck, <laughs> like trying to look at this gallery window. So the CB three fifty yeah. and the XR went in there. Yeah, the XR six hundred. Those two. Yep, those two. Wow, and. Uh, I think we were just rushing to try to get a little postie done as well yep. at the same time. <laughs> um, Steve has a real soft spot for posties. Um, ah, me, uh, you know, I can, I can be brought around to them if they're yeah, done in a particular Now they've got way. the big banger, the new 125. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now they've got the electric too. They do too. Yeah, I've, I've seen the, um, the little, some dude turned up in the tricycle one. The, oh, really? Yeah, it's like, and it's got like a little box in the, the back. The booth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and then we almost watched him tip it on the, uh, on the driveway go, going out of ill speed. We we're just like, oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like their lawsuit's waiting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not cool. It's not cool. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, we, that, wow. that single gallery, man, that, um, that yep. did it all for us. And uh, so we just had people like going into the gallery going, what are these bikes? Can I buy one? And then the gallery calling us and saying, Leo, can you guys make a website or something? And I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know the first thing about making a website. Mm. And, um, and I was like, I think I've got iWeb on my, on my Mac. Yep. So I made this like crappy iWeb <laughs> website, <laughs> <laughs> like Ellersbeed and a picture and uh, it was, it was contact re- us. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much. And then next minute, the front of my house, which was gutted, like, Jib rock all off the walls, yep. literally nothing but weatherboard on the outside and studs was filled with seven bikes. Um, and we told everyone from the get-go, we're like, we are not building these bikes for you. We can design these bikes for you. 
And and that was kind of going to be our idea. We'd just draw these bikes up and, and you know, detail them to yep. a point, kind of like an architect does. And then they would get someone to build it. They would find a builder to build it. We did that with the first couple. And then they're like, hey, Leo, I can't get anyone to build it. Everywhere I go to, it's like, you know, these like random places. And, and they're like, I'm pretty sure I almost got murdered in one of these other ones. You know, like <laughs> I'm painting a really bad picture. But, uh, but you know, like just they, they couldn't find anyone. Yep. And, and I think it was, bec- you know, like you know, I guess it just wasn't a thing yet at the time. Mm. Um, and so we were, we were kind of like, oh, okay. And, and we are like, oh, well, we successfully managed to build these ones. So we're like, look, we can maybe build you some bikes, but it's going to have to come with a pretty big caveat that, you know, there's certain things we're not going to do because it's just going to mess with the bike too much and it's just mechanically potentially not going to function for you. Mm. So very early on, and this is the part of product design that we bring to Ellerspeed is that as a product designer, you design the product, but you find a team who can make that product and make it the best that it can be. So, you know, if you, if it's been made of, um, if it's being injected and molded out of plastic, for example, you find a plastics engineer and you say, Hey, what do you reckon about these flow rates? I'm thinking about putting the ribs here in this plastic part, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think the tool is going to be affected? You know, how long, what's, what's the longevity of this tool going to be? Da, 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 da. So Steve and I very early on were like, we need to build a team around us of people who are much smarter than us because mm. we have a vision and we have an idea of what we want to create, but we we don't pretend to know, to have the technical know-how to do these sorts of things. So we brought on, we brought on some mechanics, we brought on some people who um, just had a very, very good engineering mind. Um, this one particular guy, Adrian, he's a lovely dude. Um, but he was like super weird. Like he was just like, just his mannerisms were really funny. <laughs> and, uh, and Steve and I like actually Adrian dropped into the shop, um, a couple of months ago and he's just, he's just a cracker, like mm-hmm. really funny dude. He's actually res- one of the dudes responsible for designing the Fisher and Pike called Dish Draw. Oh really? Getting yeah. all the mechanisms to work in that. So a New Zealand guy and real smart, yeah. like, you know, you know, engineering wise was like, Oh no, you can't do that. I see what you guys are trying to do there. This is the way you could achieve it. Like, cool. All right. That sounds good. Like, you know, we're happy with that. So at no point, were we ever like trying to pitch ourselves as like bike builders um, or as like, you know, people who could, you know, walk into a workshop and and sort of fab something for you. Um, And so, yeah, we, we got through a few of those bikes and then the front of my house just started to fill up with more and more bikes. So I had like 12 next minute we had like 15 I was like, Steve, this is getting ridiculous, man. I need to rebuild my house. I can't just keep living out the back of the studio. Like, I need to get these bikes out of here. What's is it, Caroline? Caroline? What's she saying at this point? Um, she's just she's she's cool with it. She's on for the journey. Yeah, yeah. yeah she's cool. she's um she's been such a supporter. Yeah. Like, you know, my down days when things aren't going right. Yeah. You know, she picks me up, and you know, like she's she's. I think I couldn't have married anyone else. One besides her. But then two, anyone else who was um, who wasn't a designer, because mm. she understood, I guess, the ebbs and flows of the process. Where it's like when you're stuck in that middle of the spaghetti that I was describing yep. earlier, it just seems like there's sometimes there's no way out, and and that's kind of almost what it was like, sort of building the business to a point. Where it was like, frick, I've just gone and dug myself this massive hole, and it's like this just it it's not playing out as to how I thought it would yep. in my head. When it's like, oh, all these bikes are coming in. Okay, cool. We'll we'll treat it like a product. We'll build this team and then we'll like, we'll build it up from there. 
and you know, and it'll work just like we do with these products because you know we've got products out on the market that have you know we've made half a million of, yeah. um, or not necessarily Steve and I, but in the consultancy that I work yeah. for or whatever for for a client, it's like that's still working fine. Yeah, uh, we should be able to replicate exactly, mm. and you know, but. Uh, this is my naivety as well, and, and and you know it's great because I think if had I known everything in the beginning, you probably wouldn't have done it. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, Carolyn, Carolyn really like she's been yep. she's been great. Like, so you had fifteen bikes out the front, and it was all good. It was yeah, she was fine with it, yep. and uh, we weren't. Yeah, well, we were married by two thousand eleven, so the house was filled up. Um, so we got flooded. Yep, and then. We set up the shop at uh, in West End, and I got married that same year. Wow, what a year! Yeah, so it was, it was pretty interesting. Mm. Um, so yeah, so Carolyn's super understanding, and and that that sales transaction of those rego um, label holders that came towards the end of the year, and uh, she let me cut our honeymoon short so I could go overseas to fulfill that order. Very understanding. Very. She asks for very little. That's She's, very uh, good. So I love your wife, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> if you're this far in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she's, she's like, I've heard all these stories before. I don't want to listen to them dribble. <laughs> nah, I hear them at home. So what what era are we talking about here for the 15 point? When did this start? Like you had the flood in 11? Yeah. So this all happened in the span of about six months. Really? All this happened? Yeah. So from flood to the gallery yep. to building 15 bikes? To, to having 15, 15 disassembled bikes in my house and it just got ridiculous and then wow. so we were like look okay we need to go set up somewhere mm-hmm. and Steve and I were scouring around like rent was really expensive at this time yep. like 2011 is like sort of peaked. peaking yeah and then you know of course there are businesses that have just been flooded so they're like we need to move out of our flooded business into a non-flooded business yep. and we just lucked upon this crack den of a of a <laughs> warehouse and as soon as I saw the photos on um, on uh, on realestate.com or whatever, yep. I was like, Steve, this is it. I found it. I found it. Brick building. It was all raw and like grungy and stuff. Yep. And it was in the heart of West End. I was like, that's it. Like our, our whole idea was that we wanted to be within, you know, sort of a couple of K radius of the city mm-hmm. um, because we figured that's kind of the people who are going to the art gallery, they're in the valley. So they're the same people who are probably going to come to West End. Yep. And um, so when we moved in, there was no apartments near us, no nothing. It was just like an empty gravel lot. Yeah, it's changed, hasn't it? Oh, 100%. In that time. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, Actually, I was there last night picking up something and uh, I left something at work and I had to go back. And it used to be, you know, like oh, past 7 o'clock, it's like, man, this place is kind of I'm <laughs> 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 like, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now it's just, you know, high rises everywhere. Everyone's still partying until 10.30. So <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, cool. I feel safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, th- in that short time, like eight years, yeah. 2012 basically, yeah. Yeah. it has changed. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, a lot more people walking dogs in the middle of the night. Mm. So that's good. And so, yeah, we, we set up in the, in the shop and that was no easy feat. Like our landlord's... Are legends. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really, really nice guys, Nick and Danny. Um, you know, a little bit older than sort of st- even Steve and I, and uh, and they and they um, <laughs> and they, um, they we kind of they were like, "What are you guys doing?" And we, we just sort of told them what we were yeah. doing, and they're like, "All right, that sounds cool. Like you guys are trying something mm-hmm. new." And, you know, they were in real estate. They've seen a lot of different type of businesses, and they're like, "All right, cool. You know, go for it." And, yeah. and they're like, "Look." Here's the shed. It's pretty cheap, but we're not 
lifting a single finger to help you do anything inside. And mm. this was literally a dirt floor with what we thought was concrete. Turned out it was literally just grout on top of dirt, bare walls with like graffiti all over them and two steel doors that just barely opened and closed. Yeah. So we're like, okay, cool. All of that money that we just made from selling that product straight into a fit out. So we're like, okay, and, and, you know, we only had enough money for that fit out. We only had enough money for half the shop. So Steve and I, you know, we got one of Steve's mates, um, Matt, to help out with, you know, doing the fit out and he did an awesome job for us. Like, you know, he did it on the cheap and, yep. and Steve and I are there like, you know, you know, bashing in nails in, during the day and then we'd be going back to my house at night trying to do some more work on some of the bikes because, you know, we wanted to be accountable and, and have deliverables for, for our clients, even though a lot of them were like, you know, we totally realized that you guys yep. are just starting up and they're like, I can see from your house that you yeah. guys have got a lot of work <laughs> ahead of you. But they're like, happy to leave the bike here, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. And um, so we finally sort of got set up and, and you know, and then it was sort of, that was all of our money gone. Like we had no money and, you know, and then I personally, I still had to fix my house somehow. Yep. And we're like, and still I think at that point it was like the idea of, okay, let's just get through these 15 bikes and just see what happens. If we have to shut up shop, it's like we haven't thrown that much money at it. Could definitely recoup from all of this yep. if I just go get a job, da da da, da. You know, it might take me a couple of years, but whatever. You know, it's, it's this, not is, the end this of the world. is yeah, this is why I started this now, not yep. when I had a mortgage and a and a you know and um and a and a and a kid and you know family and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, we we set up and then started building more of a team around us. Um and we were just really lucky that we had people, yeah, like Hewan and Andy, mm -hmm. who could see what we were trying to do. And we were just up front with them. We're like, man, we got no money. Like Steve and I are eating our own savings yep. to just feed ourselves. We have no money in the business at all. To and and at this time, like we had no business structure. So we had no idea of like, okay. When should we, when, when, a, when should we bill people? When should like, you know, things, things take a time to develop a cycle. Mm. We now, you know, have that sort of, you know, really down pat, but it, you know, it takes a long time to establish that. And I had nothing to compare it to either. Um, you know, my parents being in the restaurant industry, that's a, that's a same hour transaction. Fast move. It's yeah. like a fast move. Yeah, you know, good. yeah. It's just, exactly. Yeah. You eat, you pay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, should. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, to anyone who's done a runner out there, you're a terrible person. <laughs> and it'll come back at you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, it, you know, in terms of building a motorbike, we thought, oh, okay, well, we'll build it to a certain stage and then we build. Oh, okay, cool. All right. That, well, that makes sense. And but it takes you a long time to build a bike. So then what do you do in the meantime? And, you know, what do you do for cash flow and, and all that sort of stuff? Mm. And, and, and they are all the things that I wanted to learn. So I think it was great that we literally just jumped in the deep end and had a couple of sharks swimming with us. Yep. And, you know, and then we're kind of like, okay, we have to, you know, figure out a way to, you know, sort of, you know, um, you know, sink or swim type thing. And, um, yeah, and so we sort of slowly built it up. And Steve and I, I guess, over that period of time had, I guess, sort of bigger and bigger dreams as to how, and I guess learning more about it, we sort of wanted to shape it in a particular way. Yep. And, uh, and so, you know, we've, we've gone through things where we've trialed things and it's like, oh, that didn't really work. And we've trialed other things. We're like, oh, that worked. Um, great example, Dust Hustle. You know, we thought, oh, 
you know, we all kind of like, you know, we're watching a bunch of flat track people and we're like, man, this is sick. And, yep. you know, and, uh, you know, sideburn having, having, um, you know, uh, dirt quake dirt and all that sort of stuff. Yep. And we're like, oh man, you know, we should get these guys to bring this out before I even, before we actually started Elispeed, I actually, actually reminds me, I, I remember emailing, um, Deus and saying, man, you guys really need to set up in Brisbane. Like, I was like, man, there's like a massive culture yeah. here for you guys. And they're like, nah, it's not, not of interest to us. Cause I think they were, you know, busy setting up like Milan and Tokyo, like, you know, oh, yeah, all, yeah. you know, like all the key cities. Yep. And, uh, so I was like, oh, okay, cool. And, and whatever, like, I mean, that was just kind of like a side thing. I was like, oh, you know, you should definitely do that. And, and it was uh, for the picking though, Like they could have come in yeah. here and, and dominated. Yeah. Yeah. Really could have. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, so we really kind of fell into it a little bit, and then good timing. Yeah, I guess yep. so. Good um, builds. Not, yep. not through not through any strategic foresight <laughs> of mine. Not not through a crystal ball or anything. Um, but yeah, you know we, and then we've just been really fortunate yep. that uh, that other people have jumped onto the culture at the same time. Because obviously, without our clients, we wouldn't be building anything. No. Um, so that that has been amazing. Um, to experience that and, and being able to trial things. Yeah, like Das Hustle and saying, oh, okay, well, for the first year, we're into this. Oh, no, 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 whatever, let's give it a go. We're going to make a complete loss. We're probably going to make a loss for a lot of years, but this seems like something fun mm. and it seems like something that people can get on board with without having to, like, have a custom bike built by us. So it was because th- they're very different people. Like an, an L-speed person may not be a dust hustle person. A dust hustle person may not be an L-speed True. person. Yeah. Yep. Um, sometimes they're the same and uh, and that's cool. But um, but yeah, for, for us it was kind of like, oh, you know, we want to try things and, and that, that sort of stuff. And then through that process and through the process of wanting to express myself and I think Steve wanting to express himself um, easily in terms of communication, we were then more on the tools. Mm. Um, Steve's definitely been on the tools a lot more than me and for, for a lot longer. His, um, his family, uh, used to, used to run buses, um, in the sort of Northern New South Wales area. So they all have private buses that they take kids to school on. And so Steve's very mechanically minded from that. He's built a bunch of cars and, and all that sort of thing. So it was almost a really good sort of, I guess, um, partnership in that sense, in the sense that he not only is an industrial designer as well, so he understands kind of what I'm talking about, but he had initially had the, I guess, um, the ability to sort of make more of those things a reality than what I did. Mm-hmm. And whereas I was really good at doing that on a computer, um, so that Getting sort that of really balanced, stage. yeah, it really yep. balanced it out. So I could do all the CAD stuff that we didn't want to do by hand or that you couldn't do because you just don't have the precision of a CNC machine or you know, whatever, yep. you can't productionize something that's handmade. Um, so it works It works really well for us. Um, and then, yeah, over time, I think, you know, I've particularly been more interested in, oh, I want to just make little things and, mm. you know, like that that itch to be like, oh, cool. Well, I have this idea, but I just want to make one off and I just want to make it for myself. So my goal in life, and Carolyn kind of shares this sentiment with me as well, is that by the time I'm 80... I want to be able to look around my house and be like, everything in here has been made by us as a, as you know, her and I. That's cool. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, we want to be able to sit down and be like, yeah, we made that and that was that year and we made that and that was that year. And so, yeah, like 
you know, now like, you know, uh, currently I've been very fortunate to have a, have a baby. So I'm a little baby boy yep. uh, who actually named after a famous industrial designer, Dita, Dita Rams. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a hardcore nerd. You're I'm a hard, yeah. hardcore design nerd. Um, so yeah, you know, like I, I'm, now I'm like dreaming of making things for him. Yep. I'm like, cool. I want to make him, I want to make him this. I want to make him that, or, you know, like. So whatever it is, but you know, none of these things ever see the light of day or anything like that. It's just for us. Yep. Um, but in order to be able to get there, you know, I could either try and get someone to make it for me and interpret my sketches or my CAD or yep. whatever, or I could, you know, learn how to do it myself and and learn from that. And when I sort of said before about design being cyclical, that information that you learn while actually making something with your hands then feeds back in to the, your design process because you're mm. constantly thinking four or five steps ahead when you're actually designing on paper. It's like, okay, hang on. How's someone actually going to make this? Mm. How's, how's this actually going to be assembled? How's it going to be, you know, whatever. So then the more you learn about that process or the more you learn about manufacturing, that helps to feed into that. And then, you know, the more you learn as a, you know, how consumers think that helps to feed into to that as well. So it's it's just this constant evolution of learning. Constant cycle, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. The the funny thing that I, I, I find you saying with with this part here about the building part, you've gone like the full cycle back to being the kid with the cannon, mm-hmm. the water cannon. I've seen this. This is what I want to do. And now you're with your own house. That's what you want to do. Yeah, 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 definitely. And uh, you know, eventually, obviously, the the biggest plan will be Carol and I will build our dream home, set out the way we want it. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely like the goal. Every component. Um, as yeah, much as you can. Uh, largely. I mean, you know, again, very fortunate creative industries. You end up yep. picking up a lot of creative friends. We all kind of like gravitate, I think, towards yeah. one another. Yep. Y- you know what it's like. For sure. For sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. There's a certain field. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. You know, so I've got friends who are, you know, architects and, and yep. all that sort of stuff. So, you know, we're, we're renovating my place at the moment. And, you know, I've been doing that with my mate, Sal, and. He's, a, he's an architect and he's in a motorbike, so we've built him a couple of motorbikes as well out of the yep. shop. And so it's it's just a really nice process being able to sort of do that and have your vision seen. Mm. Um, it's just a constant battle of wanting to express yourself, I think. That's that's really yep. what it is as a designer. Um, maybe more so than – and when I say everyone has it in them, maybe those people don't tap into that. Alternatively, maybe those people were told at a very young age – or at some point in life, nah, come on, you know, give that sort of kid stuff away. Yep. You know, you need a, you need to go get a real job. Yep, you're going to be a builder, or you're going to be whatever it yeah. may be. You're, this is what you do. Yeah, you might have missed the opportunity or whatever you could have been really, 100%. really good at. You know. Yeah, which, which again, you know, I'm thankful for my parents for yeah. not being like, no, 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 you need to do medicine. Yep. Because I'm pretty sure I'd be a pretty unhappy. Like, yeah, might be pretty rich, but. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't equate yeah. to happiness. You so. just end up buying toys or something, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Like, Whereas you're making them. I think that's kind of the cool thing. You know, mm. I might not have as much money as someone who can go buy a Ferrari, but I could build something that I think is probably as cool, if not yep. cooler, and I can say, oh, yeah, I made that. Um, you know, someone else might think it's terrible. Whatever, man. Like it's my expression. It's everyone's eyes. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever they're painted. Whatever their pa- eyes are painted for. Exactly. You know, you, what What you find beauty in, not everyone else is going to find. So. Exactly. Your designs. Like, what, what do you th- feel like theme wise? Is there any representation of like uh, idols currently that you're looking at in in what you're doing for your bikes? Oh. Um, 
there's certainly a lot of people that I respect in yep. the industry, um, but all for probably different reasons. Mm-hmm. I think Steve and I have a style on our own, like Ellispeed has its own style, yep. um, which I don't know if we've necessarily quantified because it's different per individual client that we have. Because we work collaboratively with a client, it usually is their input plus our input. Yep. We may steer them a little bit, but ultimately we want to build a machine for them. Mm-hmm. So it's less about us putting our stamp on it and yep. saying, this is the bike that you're going to get, you know, you know, like it or love it, this is, this is what it is. Um, and again, that just comes back to being, I think, a designer and being user-centered where you want to, I guess you want to make the client happy. Yeah, that's the goal. You know, I mean, yeah. they're paying the money, they're, they're riding around on this thing. They're the one that should get the stoke factor at the end of the day. Yeah, aren't exactly. They? Exactly. So we, we really try to, so although they don't necessarily all look the same, they have a, I guess, a, you know, I guess a, a certain proportion about them. There's certain things that we do that make them look like a certain bike, but I wouldn't say it's a particular theme. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of people who I respect and I look up to in the industry, um, you know, Japan, for example, you've got a you've got a crew of dudes called Heiwa, right. and they make amazing bikes. You know, they're they're fantastic. Completely sort of different style to us, but the level of detail that those guys go into, it's it's phenomenal. Um, you're so Japanese, you know, like just so you know detail on Precise, everything, precision, yeah, exactly. Yep. And you know, equally so here, you know, in in um, in Australia, uh, Nigel Petrie, mm-hmm. um, engineered to slide yep. and, you know, uh, all that sort of stuff. Nigel makes like some amazing bikes, Hundred percent. you know, like yep. they're, and, and his level of engineering is, is fantastic. So, you know, like there are, I guess what I would consider peers that I like look towards. There are people who are, are you know, sort of, uh, further along in their career, like yep. a chip Foose, for example. Um, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of really cool people out there who, I get a lot of inspiration from. You might look at something and you'd be like, "Oh wow, that's that's really cool. That's interesting how they did that." Mm. Not necessarily copy it, but it makes you think. Oh, maybe I could do something different with another type of piece that you know, I guess challenges the way we thought about it. In, you know, previously. Mm. So, but a lot of probably our components and a lot of the our bikes uh, have, I guess, a lot of facets of what us as individuals will bring to the team. So there'll be some handmade parts that Steve or Marshall sort of will make. There might be some CNC machine parts, which usually I'm sort of responsible for. Um, You know, there'll be a lot of things that, and I think it's that sort of, you know, that mishmash of everyone that makes that entire bike. Do you you see it at one point being completely in-house? You paint, you CNC mm. like to the to the stage of being like a mass a mass shop. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, a full dragon. That's the a full dragon. Yeah, that's kind of what it's called. Is that industry talk? Uh, that's that's Asian talk. That's, that's Chinese <laughs> talk. Yeah. So when you have like little little shops. Yep. Um, you know that's like you know kind of like what we are, little mum and pop shop. Yep. Um, when when you have that, you know, you do your one thing, but like a full dragon is. You know, you have everything from start to finish. Yes. You know, everything all in-house, all built in. I, d- I don't think so. No. Um, we get to work with some really, really good um, f- finishing people. So we, we get to work with some great painters, yep. upholsterers. And I think if we brought them in-house, there might be a, like a 
I don't know. I, I think it's, I quite like the collaborative approach. I think where we are as a business at the moment is like a real sweet spot. Mm-hmm. There's five of us um, sort of in, in total and we we get to sort of do things and play with certain things that don't make us money but we still have enough money to, you know, we still have enough funds to pay everyone and then plus we can still do things that make us money. Mm. I think the bigger you grow the more pressure there is for us to get certain things in the door yep. that we may not actually really want to do. Mm. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll say yes to that because that just hits that target for the month. Whereas it, that's not a position that um, I think Steve or I really want to be in because it just stifles your creativity. Yep. It's it's like, oh, okay, well, I've got to do this and it's to a deadline. We build our bikes to a, to a schedule, but if it's like, no, this has to be out, next week because we've got the next load coming in so that we can then make money to pay everyone. It's, it's just not a balancing act that we really want to do. And we, we've, we've been bigger than five people mm-hmm. and we've certainly, um, we've had to do that sort of stuff in the past where we're kind of like, Oh man, you know, we just got to get this out. We just, oh, get it in and out, get it in and out. It's like, I don't know. I just, I just don't think that's really us. It, we've been able to produce much better work the way we we approach it now and that's a smart thing like there's so many businesses that do go the other way they don't realize their sweet spot hey and then all of a sudden they're everything looks good because they're moving hundreds of bikes out this is happening but they're not making usually any profit they're they've worked everyone's just worked to the bone they're not communicating effectively and then what have you got left you're not having any fun and yeah. And leaves. You know? Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think a lot of businesses realize that, recognize that spe- sweet spot too late. Yeah, I mean, and and that's probably a little bit of a blessing of having Steve who, you know, he's older than me. So, you know, there's a little bit of that foresight maybe yep. as well. Um, and then I'm quite a long-term thinker mm-hmm. as well. It's kind of like, okay, yeah, great. We can do a, you know, a, a, a initial sort of, you know, ramp up like this. Yep. But is that a, like a sustainable lifestyle that we want to have, or or is that you know, you know that's no holidays, no nothing, no, no time to go riding? Yeah, just owned by that. <laughs> yeah, that that machine. Yeah, yeah, and which is where we kind of were a few years ago, mm-hmm. I think. Um, whereas I think right now we're we're doing a pretty good balancing act. Perfect. Yeah. What's uh, yeah, what happens with Velospeed? Like more dust hustles, or like. What happens now? Yeah, well... Because um, we had Hewan in and, and we discussed this off air, but he was the breaker of good news, how good Dust Hustle is and that. And you've been ditched here the second time <laughs> and we have to talk about it not happening due to whatever. Uh, 2020. 2020. Yeah, due to 2020. I could even call it a name. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, no Dust Hustle this year. No but Dust Hustle this year, which is a real bummer. We'll, everyone um, still can ride their bikes. Yes, yeah, yeah. We were, um, we were holding out hope there for yep. a bit. And just the deadlines just keep getting pushed further and further back and all that sort of thing. And and everyone was keen to come Christmas Day. Y- yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> everyone's like, is this is this really happening, Christmas Day? And, uh, and we're like, no, no, we just had to we just had to pick a date because the Facebook you know yeah. group thing would have dropped off and and all that sort of stuff. You know, Mark Zuckerberg on the phone saying, yeah, yeah, you're you going to do this on the twenty fourth. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, um, unfortunately, no, not happening. And um, a real. It's a blow to us because we were like gaining a lot of momentum behind yep. it. But for us, the big thing is 
there's a lot of, I guess, requirements for holding any event yep. as to how you hold the event and, you know, making sure that people don't come in contact with one another and, you know, don't get sick. And for us, the last thing that we want to happen at the event is a bunch of people attend the event, you know, we get two, 3,000 spectators come, two of those people get, you know, get sick and then take it home and that accidentally kills you know, some sort of elderly family member or something. I, yep. I don't know, whatever, whatever it could be. Yep. We, one, don't want to be responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, I think the event would just be completely different to how we've had it in the past. Mm-hmm. And I think the way we've had it in the past is kind of the reason why it's successful. So we were just like, look, let's just let's just head down, bum up, we'll just do other work. Um, we've got other... We've got a couple of other events that are coming up, which will be announced um, soon. So it'll be they'll be happening in November. Um, we're doing that in collaboration with with a much bigger um, group. Cool. And um, that will be as not as fun as Dust Hustle, but it, it's something to put on the calendar for yeah, sure. Yeah, cool. Yep. Um, and so that they'll run for a couple of months as well. Nice. Yeah. So like a summer. Summer series. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'll be it'll be pretty cool. Yep. Um, and everyone will be able to attend and, and all that sort of stuff and it'll be safe and, and all that sort of stuff all that sort of thing. So Oh cool. Yeah. Oh that should be nice to see. Yeah. Mate, if you had if there was no budget dependencies, what would be a bike that you'd uh, that you'd want to build? Because mm. everything's outside communication, you've got a customer comes in, there's this and that. But what would be something you'd want to build for yourself? Oh, for for me personally? Yeah. Um no, I think for me the next sort of bike would be say something like a board tracker. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. like it wouldn't. Oh, I wouldn't ride it. Like I'd literally just build a thing. Pure, be an art piece. Yeah, yeah, yep. for just pure aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I have dreams of yeah building a Harley and you know building you know sort of having one of every sort of bike category. Mm. Um, but I get got to get my personal shed at home sorted out first. Yep. Just so that I can rack them up nicely. Um, although Carol and I want to be surrounded by the things that we that we make, we are incredibly minimalist people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like we, you know, like we do not let random stuff into our house, and so yeah, we we are very particular. So it's there if it's there, it's, it's there, there for a reason. reason. Yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, we cool. are we we declutter a lot all the yep. time, and um, you know, so much to the point, people are just like, man, you guys are like monastic <laughs> we're like well like, we're not that bad <laughs> but it's just yeah it's the way you are yeah yep. yeah yeah it just it just keeps um i think both of our brains like we think a lot about a lot of stuff yep. so being able to come home to a space where it's just a clean clutter-free environment mm-hmm. really helps us sort of quite you know sort of you know recharge for the next day yeah you, you're out of out of clutter yeah you know like your brain everything mentally yeah. as well What's the best thing about being a motorcyclist? Um, people. Yeah, the other motorcyclists that you yep. meet. Um, the good and the bad. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's not many bad ones. Yeah, there's, there's not many. Nah. There's not many. I think like everyone has an interesting story as to For why sure. they're into bikes and, and you know, like they're, you know, some of my best mates, you know, like I've, I've met through riding. I've yep. had great holidays or riding, you know, tours with them and all that sort of stuff. Like. Yeah, you know when I when I saw you last time in New Zealand. Yeah, we're sitting in yeah. Invercargill in about seven thousand knot winds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they know how to produce wind down there. How good was Bert Munro? It was it was amazing. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, another massive idol. Um, mm. so I remember, yeah, fourth year uni, um, yeah. world's fastest Indian, sort of 
third or fourth year uni, was mm-hmm. Fast as Indian came out. I watched that I think on repeat like ten times, yep. like you know in a row, and I was just like, man, this guy like he he just had an idea and he just followed it all the way through. You just know, did it didn't he? Yeah, and I just thought it was amazing, and um, you know him and guys like Britain. As I was well. going to ask you about that as well. Yeah, good fan. Oh yeah, yeah, massive yep. man. Like not just not just the motorbike side. Um, there's actually a Grand Designs episode of his daughter. She's she's redone their family home, which he hand-built by hand. Oh, that was in the original documentary, that, uh, yeah, that yeah. house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, so that so. got um, that got affected by the earthquakes. Yeah. And um, and they were still, like, the mum was still living there. And, uh, and yeah, and the, the daughter ended up sort of buying it off the mum. And they that house is amazing. Like, you know, handmade balustrades, all, like, sort of, you know, Art Nouveau, like, sort of, you know, leaf details and stuff. He would have been, like, 20 yeah, I'm like, so young. you know, I just sort of think to myself, I don't know, like there's some amazing individuals out there. Yep. And and again, you know, motorcycling has exposed me to a bunch of those amazing, amazing individuals. Um, you know, I still go, I was there in New Zealand with my mate Neil mm-hmm. and, you know, that's great. Like, you know, he loves riding, I love riding, you know, we're, we're, we're away doing this thing. And, but my is part of the reason as to why I got into motorbikes and, yep. you know, like finally getting over there and it's like, yeah, cool, you know. Got over to Invercargill. Definitely worth worth you know doing people if uh, if you're thinking awesome about doing experience. it. Awesome experience. Well, when I when I seen you, we're in the um, oh, the haze. You'll, you'll say Bunnings, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a haze. Yeah. And um, was it Neil? Was he on a BM? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you had a Himalayan. I had a little Himalayan. How um, was that experience? Uh, it was the last bike that I could choose. <laughs> so it was uh, not not the last bike I would choose, but nah. it was the last bike that I could rent over there. Because you can like, imagine the week of the Burt Munro Festival, yeah, everyone's 100%. riding motorcycles. Yeah, and, uh, and Neil flew into uh, – he flew up a little bit further and met our mate Ray and mm-hmm. they drove and rode down and then I flew straight into Queenstown. Um, right. Again, testament to how cool Carolyn is. Uh, Dita was – I think a month old. Oh, really? And she was like, and I was like, oh, hey. And I had an opportunity to go. And initially, I was meant to go um, to a car racing event over there. Mm-hmm. I got invited by um, a dame in, in New Zealand. They they run the Scope Classic. And she was like, oh, yeah, you guys should come over. I'd, I'd met her through the shop. And, and she's a mo- she's an avid motorcyclist who does not ride. She, she pays a dude. She has two Indians, one in the Northern Hemisphere and one in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. She pays a guy to ride and she sits on the back and his wife is the um, is the support vehicle. Wow. And they go all over the world on the back of a motorbike. And she goes all over the world on the back of a motorbike. Wow. I, I thought that was that's, weird. That's weird. I was like, <laughs> that's really cool. Like That's unreal. Yeah, so. And you met them through the shop originally. Yeah, so they, they came through. Again, Artisans. Um, mm-hmm. Romy, you know, she, she was one of the people who worked at Artisans and she, you know, she was creating an um, a an art gallery over over in New Zealand mm-hmm. and um, uh, this, this dame was a, basically a patron yep. and they, they organised like an art junket and as part of one of their tours, they were like, oh, let's go to Ellisbeet and. So we met her and, you know, she was like, oh, you got, you got to come to the Scope Classic. And so the idea was to go there initially yep. and then ride all the way down um, the South Island to, to the Burt Monroe Classic. And uh, and I was like, oh, this is going to be way too long. It's going to yep. be like a full week and a half full away. Yeah. yeah. And yep. I was like, oh, I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. 
So I decided to sort of cut the trip in half, fly into Queenstown. Yeah. And um, and the people who I rented the bike off, I can't remember the name of them. They're absolute legends. Mm. Um, a, a, a husband and wife team who basically bought this business. Yep. Um, but, yeah, literally the Himalayan was the, <laughs> the last little bike. They're not that bad. They're not that bad. Um, uh, they are definitely built for a price point. Yep. And, and that's reflected and that's fine. If you want to buy a bike at that price point, you get a lot of bike for mm. that for that price point. Um, they they had heated grips on aftermarket heated oh, grips, did they? Yeah. and I was like I was like whatever, as if you need heated grips. Thinking of you know yeah, of, you know riding Queensland. here in, in <laughs> Brisbane, and yeah, like first first corner, I'm like this is New Zealand, it is freezing. I'm like those heated grips are jacked oh, up to like a thousand. <laughs> so good heated grips. Yeah, I cop yeah. a bit of shit about them. But yeah. I love heated no, grips. They're, they're, Not uh, so much up here, but when I travel anywhere, 100%. such a good thing. And it's surprising how warm it keeps you. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, if your hands are warm, everything up here is warm. Yeah, you know, and it's that's like where a, it all comes through. It's like a reverse uh, reverse intercooler for your, for, your, <laughs> for, your, <laughs> for your body. Yeah, for your body. Riding in New Zealand, good. Yeah, amazing, yeah. amazing. If uh, again, you know, if people have not had the opportunity or thinking about going somewhere, if this bubble opens up between Australia and New Zealand, go there. Definitely, definitely go riding in New Zealand. It is absolutely amazing. The scenery. The people. The roads. Know, everything. Yeah. yeah, the roads. Are, yeah. You know, absolutely amazing. We rode all the way up to the Remarkables one day. Um, we we got up to the top, rode down, and we're like, oh, man, that down section was really good. So we rode back up again and then rode back down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Himalayan too. Yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, I was getting it over. I was scraping pegs. Yeah, and uh, it, it wasn't hard because, the you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's it like happens. The, a slight lean angle. and uh, But, yeah, you know, it was that was fun. It was yep. a, like you know, looking like the other bikes that they had, um, an option to, to rent, like they had some Harleys and yep. they had, um, they had a few other, other bikes. That was probably the better choice, mainly because the other guys were on adventure bikes. So it was right. kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that made sense. So, so we take. went and did, uh, you know, some sort of like semi dual sporty stuff and, yep. and all that sort of thing. And it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, it was good. Good to see you there. And the, the, you know, how you always hear this was a one in 100 year weather event and that, that week was one of hundred years. <laughs> like, so we, we flew into um, we flew into Dunedin on I think it's the Tuesday, and we didn't realise Elton John was playing the Tuesday night in Dunedin. Oh wow! So it was like four hundred and fifty bucks a night for accommodation in Dunedin. Oh like, my gosh! Oh geez, we're not going to do that. We're going to book down at this other place uh, down towards Invercargill. So we went to drive down there. And uh, it flooded. The road got it washed away. Oh, we couldn't go there. Right. Yeah. So we were at the phone on the phone at Brizzy Airport just before we left. We're trying to get accommodation somewhere in Dunedin, and we ended up getting this one place, which was great. They looked after us. And then the next day, bang, we went to go back down. Got halfway to Invercargill, and the road got blocked from everywhere south. Like you couldn't get anywhere south. So we're like, oh, what are we going to do? So back up to Dunedin again. <laughs> and I think the next day was there's someone else playing there and yeah New Zealand's a hot spot of activity too there's so much on in such small places yeah you can do heaps there it's, it's a good joint and I was really surprised with Invercargill as well mm. um we were like Neil and I were lucky to go with Ray because he's he's a New Zealander through and through right and a uh, very proud New Zealander who could tell us a lot about yep the area you know, I had no idea that any beer that you bought in Invercargill, all of those proceeds actually go back to the town and it has to be really? spent on sporting complexes. Wow, that's cool. And I was like, wow. And because I was like, why are there so many like random like sports centers yeah. at the bottom of this country? And Ray was like, oh, yeah, any of the beers that you, any of the alcohol that you buy here, this is how it gets cycled back through the community. 
I was like, that's really smart. Smart, yeah. And um, so that brings a lot of teams there and, and all yep. that sort of thing and, you know, brings events like the Burton Monroe yeah. uh, event, obviously, you know, because it's in Cargill as well, but... But yeah, there's like a really rich motor like history down there. For sure, there. not just the Burt part, but like to have those circuits there, and that obviously there's a reason, and that's obviously it. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, and and I think um, the main person who set that up was the was like a really big trucking family. Um, yeah, Richardsons. Yeah, that's it. And uh, yeah. did you go to the museum? Yeah, I did. Yeah, both like the car and the yeah yeah. One. yeah yeah. Oh mate, so cool. It's unreal. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I didn't expect so much. Yeah. Like when we were went to the uh, truck one. Yep. And we walk in and we're like, oh, wow, okay. Like because we were going to film, it was our last day and there's days worth of filming there. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's yeah. good. It's that, that car one blew me away. Yeah. Um, mainly as well because uh, so when I was mentioning before that my, uh, my great granddad uh, and my great uncle yep. um, came to Sydney to, you know, set up veggie markets and all that sort of stuff. Um, there's a really old family photo of him in a in a truck in an international, mm. and I was like, oh, I was like, I wonder if I'm like, there's a lot of internationals here. I'm like, I wonder if they've got the same sort of one that my my great uncle had. And so I was like going around searching. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's it. It's got like the same details on it. It looks it looks almost exactly the same. Wow. And so I was like, wow, there you go. So you know, like seeing seeing stuff like that and and the way it was presented in yep. in the museum was really State of the cool. Art. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was incredible. That fire truck when you walk in the door, yep. that's like wow, look yep. at that old mobile tanker. Yeah, that was uh, not fire truck fuel fuel tanker. Sorry, yeah, shouldn't confuse those two <laughs> things. <laughs> but it was red, you yeah. know. So, but uh, yeah, I did see that photo on your Insta. Yeah, I yeah. That. So that was literally identical to the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, that's kind of cool. That's um, you know, that's uh, and I, I don't know. Just again, you know, I I really like a lot of sort of historical yep. stuff. I, I'm, I'm very much live in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look at a lot of futuristic stuff and, you know, love sci-fi and all that sort of thing, but I always love looking at sort of vintage. Where would it come from? Yeah, yeah. You know, like I like to see a timeline of a product, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, you know, how a radio turned into a TV and now turned into a computer and now into yeah. a mobile phone. Now into AI. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, with Neuralink. Neuralink. <laughs> Display in my eyeball. Yeah, yeah. it's not far. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about your um your pickup. Is that your daily? Oh, I thought you were talking about my pickup game with Carolyn. Um, but, <laughs> oh, terrible dad jokes, mate. That was you real cut bad. that out. <laughs> <laughs> You're six months into the dad yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, is that your daily? That is my daily, yeah. yeah. So, what is uh, it? It's a, C, it's a C20. Yeah. Um, so same as a C20. C10, mm-hmm. um, Chevy. So 67 to 72, they mm-hmm. ran pretty much all the same. Yep. Second series Chevy. Um, but every two or three years, they did a facelift. So I've got a 72, which mm-hmm. is affectionately known as the cheese grater grill no. um, on the front. So um, yeah, this is just another story as to how cool Carolyn is. Um, so Hewan and I, so for, for a while there, I was looking at um, a ute. I was yep. looking at something that I could throw a couple of motorbikes in and I wanted something kind of cool. And so I was looking at Chevys there for a while. We then, uh, Hugh and I went on that Sailor Jerry ride. Um, uh, yes. So, yep. Yeah, that was that was really fun. With yeah. A bunch of other people and um, and one of the guys on there, um, Harley, he was the support mechanic. He had a Chevy C10 and, I was, and that just pretty much pushed me over. I was like, that's it. I'm getting a Chevy because at the time I was sort of tossing up a, between a few, you know, different different trucks. And I was like, that's it. I, I want to get one of these. So jump back online, 
you know, sort of straight on Gumtree. I was like, oh, I'm looking up C10s. And I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure C20s are exactly the same as a C10, except they've just got a different axle because um, the C10s had a half ton um, carrying capacity, capacity yep. and a C20 has a three quarter ton. And then the C30s had a full ton, but mm-hmm. the C30s look completely different. And um, so I was like, oh, I might look up C20s as well because the only C10s that I could find were all beds were chopped, full hot rod. Yep. I was like, oh, I don't really, I don't really want to buy someone else's project. I want to buy something that's pretty stock standard because yep. eventually I want to do something with it. And um, and so yeah, I was like, you know, I mean, I found a C20 in um, Bathurst, mm. and I was like, man, this is sick. Contacted the guy and I was like, oh, I just don't know. I don't know about the color. I was like, oh, I don't want a blue truck. And I'm like, it's going to be a while before I get around to actually doing this truck up and planning on driving it for a bit. So I was like, ah, I'll just, you know, I was like, I'll get a mechanical check done on it and I'll just see what happens. And so I did a mechanical check on it, passed with flying colors. And then the guy hit me up and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, what do you reckon? Do you, do you think you want to buy it? And I was like, oh, I was like, mate, I, I do, but just the cost of respraying it and everything. I just, I said, I might just park it for now. Um, you know, I'll, I'll look at it in a little bit. And this is a few years ago. Yep. And, uh, so literally I think 12 months passed and I saw that ad still on Gumtree. Wow. And so I hit him up and I said, Hey dude, is this, is the truck still for sale? And he's like, yeah. He goes, man, you are literally the only person who's been very serious about it in terms of getting a mechanical check and, and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, look, I'm not going to be rude, but I'll offer you this much because I know that I want to do a heap of stuff to it. Yeah. And um, and and he's like, that's fair. He's like, I need a new car because i got a new job and I can't be driving this every single yeah. day. And he's like, all the stuff that you're talking about that you want to do to it, I want to do to it too, so I want to see that happen. So I was like, all right. So I pretty much said yes to her on a Friday, called Carolyn that afternoon and said, oh, hey, I booked, booked us two tickets. We're going to Bathurst. And she's like, why is that? And I was like, I just bought a car. Oh. And she's like, righto. <laughs> so I flew into Sydney. Uh, we had to fly on two separate planes because I missed I, I missed the plane because I, at the last minute, I was like, oh, I better pack some tools just yep. in case, this, you know, I'm going to drive this thing back from Bath. Yeah, so yep. I don't know. So I was like, I'll pack some tools. And I just completely forgot that I had to throw it into um, check-in. Oh, to check-in, yep. And so the guy at the check-in counter was like, you guys are about to miss your flight. And uh, I was like, you go first. I'll pay the extra 150 bucks or whatever that yep. I need to pay to get the next flight. So jump in a hire car, drive to Bathurst, look over the car. I pretty much bought it already. Yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah, here you go. Here's the money. And the guy's like, uh, so you, you're taking this to a shipping company or something like that to ship it up to Brizzy? And I was like, nah, man, I was planning on driving. It's got a roadworthy, right? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, and I was like, I'm like, it's going to make it, isn't it? And he's like, I don't know, man. The first I've driven is Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like... All right, whatever. So, you know, driving this... Committed now. Yeah, driving this truck on the... Like, you know, driving on the wrong side of the road and... Uh, and I oh, still left hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She's, so she's OG, man. Never converted. No, no, no. So, yeah, yeah she's, uh, she's she's proper original California truck. Yeah. And um, and someone had done some work to it in the yep. States. Um, they won a little award or, or something like that for mm-hmm. it. Um, but it was a long time ago. I feel like it was sort of 10, 15 years ago that the truck was done. And never a full body off. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think the underneath has been done, and certainly it doesn't look like it. And um, so yeah. Anyways, Carol and I are driving back, and you know, the first night we're like, oh, we need to try to make it here, and like, you know, this being an old car and and everything, like you know, the fuel's gone from being full yeah. to being half <laughs> within the matter of like moments. And, and we'd been driving ages. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, I would have thought it only just dropped by a little bit. I wouldn't think we were, you know, sort of chewing yep. up that much. I'm like, oh, okay. And 
And uh, so, you know, it's getting later on the night and it's like, the, you know, it's pretty much empty and we're driving into like these like, you know, sort of country sort of, you know, servos yep. that are not 24 hours. And oh, no. we got to one that was like pitch black and, and I could see the tellers inside and, and they're like, we're closed. And I was like, I just need some fuel. And I'm like, I'm like, is there a 24 hour place? I'm like trying to talk through the window. I'm like, is there a 24 hour place nearby? And I was so unplanned. Yep. <laughs> this, is my, this, this, is, this is how I am. Yeah. Half the time. Um, some things I'm really, really planned. Other yep. things I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Spare the money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, and so we're, we're just like, oh, okay, cool. And they're just like, yeah, yeah, drive, drive, you know, an extra, you know, couple of k's down there. Oh, I don't think I'm going to make it. And so, you know, we're like, I'm like, Callan, like, you know, we might have to sleep in the car tonight. And, yeah. and so we drive, get to a 24-hour place, pump it full of fuel and bought a spare jerry can, filled that up just in case. Just in and, case, yep. And then, uh, and then yeah, drove, drove all the way back. Wow. So, yeah. And she hasn't missed a beat. The, um, part of the reason why the guy was selling it, he was saying, oh, it doesn't really start that well. Mm. And um, the beauty of having the shop and the beauty of having guys who know a lot more than me yep. about stuff is, uh, yeah, they took one look at it and they're like, oh, Leo, the timing's just out. So timing gun on it, set yep. it all right. That's it. What engine? Uh, the original, 350 small block. Oh, it's so 350. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very so cool. that might come out um, in favour of uh, an LS. No. Everyone does an LS swap, <laughs> I know. But, uh, yeah, twin turbo LS in a, in a Chevy. Oh, now that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Twisted my arm. <laughs> but uh, it, it sounds pretty cool. And they do just drop straight in. Really? Um, they, you know, you can get mounting brackets and all that sort yep. of stuff for it. And that's part of the reason as to why I chose a Chevy. Yep. Um, still out of the States, there's still so many parts for it. Yep. Um, and because of the, the years in which they spanned, yep. um, you know, 67 parts will fit on my 72 and, you know, they're interchangeable. Just heaps of stuff, eh? Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, if I went the Ford route, um, and don't get me wrong, I don't have any sway Ford or, or mm -hmm. Holden. I don't, sort of, I don't really get into that. Um, but, like, if I had chosen a Ford, they're very, very specific because they're making models dive down. Short models. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so it's kind of like, oh. So, again, that was sort of some pre-planning. It's like, oh, if I'm going to go and have parts, I want to have the widest range of parts yep. available to me, so I'll probably go to the Chevy route. That's cool. Yeah. Very smart. Have you ever heard of a place called Denchuk? No. They're a place in LA. Uh, it's Denchuk Industries. And oh. they, they're originally built for the Tri-5, so 55, 6, and 7 Chevs. Oh, okay. So for the for the sedans. Um, and, and I've been over to the, the manufacturing place a few few times, but I think they're doing pickups and stuff now. Mm. So and, and they reproduce every part. So you walk into their showroom, they got a 57 Chevy on a dolly, so on a stand. Yeah, wow. And they've got it as a modern 57 on one side. And on the other side, it's the original drum brake, original suspension model. So they've got two different parts models that you could go for. You can go for the retro mod. Yeah, wow. Yeah, really cool place. So if yeah. you're ever after anything, have a look at Denchuk. And yeah, okay. They do all reproduction stuff and really top quality gear. Yeah. So I'm not sure about your model, but it's been a while since I've been there. So they probably picked up a few different models too. Yeah, well, there's a couple so. of guys um, in the States that I do follow for, for mm -hmm. the truck side of things. Yep. Um, oh, what are their names? A couple of brothers. Um they they build amazing cars, mm. like absolutely, absolutely amazing cars, like CNC machine door handles and oh, oh it's man. awesome. Man. They the stuff that these guys do, it's phenomenal. They they build a lot of K series um, Chevys, mm -hmm. so the K series were the four wheel drive versions, yep. um, which I'm sure you know. Uh, I, I love, yeah, I love my vehicles. So, <laughs> so it's crazy to see in the states now, and we we're talking about Joe Rogan and that before. He, I don't know if it's single handedly, but he's made Land Cruisers popular. Yeah, there's uh, well, I think yeah, definitely the Icon Land, movement. Icon uh, Land yeah, Cruisers yeah. and Broncos with yeah, Icon. Yeah, it's yeah. um, 
Yeah, it's huge, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I got, you know, Ray and Neil, who I was on that yeah. New Zealand trip with, they're Land Rover through and through. Are they? Yeah, yeah, they're, uh, they're you know, they're, they're big sort of Defender fans and, yeah. and you know, and I'm just like, yeah, whatever, man. You guys aren't as cool as Chevys. <laughs> <laughs> I've started, like, hanging around Andrew from Adventure Garage and that. I'm, I'm into it too. Yeah. I, I, they're definitely cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, arms twisted on that as well. What, what do you think of the new one? What one, the Land Rover? Oh, the new Defender. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great. I yeah. think, yeah, I, I like everything Land Rover's done for the last few years, to be honest. Yeah. I think it's really good. It's it's non-conventional. Yeah. It doesn't look like any other SUV or four-wheel drive in the market, which which is pretty hard at the moment because you could go out the front to the car park here and nearly every other four-wheel driver look fairly similar. Yeah, yeah. And Land Rover's new shape, new design, for me, doesn't look like anything like any other. Yeah. So what do you think? I think it's cool. It's a really good expression of industrial design. Mm-hmm. And you, can, you can clearly tell. That there are some products you can look at and you're just like, industrial design has had their way with that uh-huh. and, uh, and and gotten it all the way through. Yep. Quite often not in a, in a large company like yep. that. A designer almost sits, they sit at answering to an accountant mm. um, and a number cruncher. When a designer is able to break out of that, say Jonathan Ives from, um, from Apple, who worked literally hand in hand with Steve Jobs mm-hmm. did not have to, you know, talk, you know, answer to Anything. an accountant or, or a business development manager or, you know, whatever it yep. is, or the marketing team, you can see that they, you can see their, their language and you can see what they thought and they were able to put all of that from paper into reality. Yep. Bar obviously, you know, the standards that they have to adhere to. But yeah, there are certain products that you can see that for sure. And the Land Rover's one. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, I reckon it's a thing of beauty. I, I honestly do. Yeah. What do you, What do you reckon of the um, Ineos Grenadier? Don't Have you know heard that? of that? No, tell me. So a couple of guys, UK pub. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, they're going to can the Defender. They're not going to bring it back out anymore. Mm-hmm. And da da da. Like the boxy shape and. Yep. And they're like, oh, it's a travesty. We should, <laughs> uh, we should, you know, uh, these must be some pretty rich people in a yep. pub too. They're like, we should start a car company and we should make a utility four-wheel drive like they should be made. And um, and the main guy who they have as the head designer is an architect and he, he does um, explain it quite well because it looks very similar to a Defender. Mm-hmm. But uh, people – oh, the, sorry, the old-shaped Defender, the, the sort of square body one. And um, and he said, oh, well, look, if you if you get a – you know, most hammers look the same. Mm. They're serving a purpose. It's a utility item. Yep. You know, it's like – it's, it's got tool. this and, you know, you can you can pull the panels off and you can replace them, da-da-da. So then they got in um, – I think they must have got funding from Ineos, the fuel company, mm-hmm. um, and they're now producing a car. Wow. So they've got like – I think Man did the suspension yep. on it. Like Man that makes the trucks and yep. stuff. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So they, they're not messing about. No, they've no, They've got no. like proper, um, you know, proper engineering and, and you know, yep. proper people behind it. And it's set to it's set to launch here in Australia as well. And, really? and they're really aiming for that um, that sort of middle, like sort of cruiser Prado market, mm-hmm. where um, it's like eighty grand. Yeah, right. they'll have you'll you know it's like a really they have I don't last I haven't seen the interior of it yet. I've only seen the exterior. Yep. It's well thought out. It's it's really cool. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got to look at that one. Yeah, and th- and that's the age we live in now as well. Yeah, that you can have three people who are in a pub for and sure. Are like. Let's start a car company. Yep. And then they're like, "Cool, let's go get some funding." And it is, it, yeah, you know, th- a few years down the track, and it's like, "Okay, cool, here we go." You don't need to be forward holding. You don't need to be the Detroit players anymore. No, yeah. You know, so it can be done. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about Elon before, and you know, he's done it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and 
and you know, and he yeah, obviously, you know, he had a bit of help initially, and you know, yep. when, when they were doing the um, Lotus conversions mm. way back when, and, and all that sort of stuff. I think we're about to run out of film. I, I don't want to um, cut the conversation. I, so, if anyone's watching, it's just going to run out of film. <laughs> um, Arch motorcycles or Arc Keanu Reeves. What yeah. do you think of those? I think they're pretty cool. Again, another expression in a different type of language. Um, And also um, a bit of a different bend. Mm -hmm. You can tell that the guys want to go for a lot of performance stuff and and, and all that sort of thing. Race shape. Yeah, exactly. Um, And, you know, it's hard hard not to like John Wick. You know, he's freaking Keanu Reeves is just like cool, isn't he? He's a cool dude. (laughs) So, you know, he jumps on a motorbike. He's even cooler. Yeah, he uh, goes and does a track day at Laguna Seca. Yeah. You know, does this, does yeah. that as well. Like, he's he does it. I, I took up surfing because I watched Point Break as a kid. No. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I was like, this is it, you know. <laughs> oh, no, no he's, he's a cool person. Yeah. Definitely yeah, a cool person. Yeah. I like the bikes personally. I yeah. think they look awesome. Yeah. Um, Roland Sands. Yeah, cool as well. Cool. So, you know, I love, um, I love what. I'm just going to pick your brain here. Yeah, now. no, no. I love what. <laughs> He's been able to do in terms of elevating, uh, like, parts mm. in in the industry. Like hard parts. Yeah, hard yep. parts. Yeah, I think um, you know, but obviously, you know, his dad and his background. Yep. I think his dad's got probably one of the largest CNC machining shops sure. in in America. But you know, I think not everyone's going to capitalize on that. He's been able to. Yep. And you know, from all accounts, a really rad dude yeah. as well. Like you know, from every we um, we were lucky enough to meet a couple of the. Heads of uh, Bell in in uh, the United States. They yeah. they came, when they came out to Australia, and they're talking about how they you know hang out with Roland Sands all the time. And like, was this last year? Uh, a couple of years no, ago, actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So can't remember what it was for. Must be yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. This past ten years is a bit blurry. Yeah. It's um it, it's yeah sometimes I'm kind of even even in the shop we're like what year did we do this and you know like, I met the industrial designer from Bell. Oh, did you? Last year. Yeah, wow. Year before. Yeah, he was over here. Yeah. And um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting. And just the way that they've they've changed the whole business. You can see the Bell, yeah. Bell Homes. It's changed. It's channeled into a total different way it was, say, 10 years ago. Or longer because it's yeah. such a long history. But, yeah, interesting guy. But I forget his name. I thought it might have been the same dude. No, this was um, – he was like their CEO. Wow. Yeah, he'd, he'd come out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he you know hangs out with Roland and, yep. and you know because obviously they've got like a really good partnership and, and sure. collaboration. And we're like, what's he like? Like, is he like secretly we're like, oh, I hope you say he's a dickhead because you know like yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, you can't be that nice. Like you can't you know do all this great nah. stuff and then uh, but no, he's like man, he's a legend. And I was like, oh man, that just makes it like awesome really to cool. hear that it's like that he's that he's not one thing in you know that you hear about yeah, two face. Yeah, yeah, yep. it's like that's really cool and, and it's reflected in in his business. Hundred percent. He's, he, he has changed the game. Yeah. I think, like, you look at Deus, you look at uh, Roland, uh, their game changes in, oh, yeah, in, their, definitely. in their time. You know? If you know, if it wasn't for Deus, this whole um, – the whole Japanese aesthetic mm. um, coming to, say, Australia and then to the rest of the world, I I don't know whether or not that would have happened in that way. Mm. Um, scale. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you know, Deus just – you know, Dare Jennings just an absolute marketing genius. But then also – obviously just a really hardworking business person as well. Yep. Being able to see that and say, oh, I can create a vision out of this and I can I can make something. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to hear Dare speak as well. Um, oh, really? Thought, yeah, this is oh, years ago. This is – this would have been like, yeah, 2010, 2009, so before I – so I had the bike. 
Yeah. Um, I had the I had my Deus bike, but I hadn't started Elspeed yet. Right in between, and he came up and spoke, and which is really nice, dude. Yeah. And what's he's like? I know he's Mambo tie and that originally. Is he a, just purely a businessman? Yeah, pretty much. That's yeah. So yeah. he the the way this is in the talk that yeah. he uh, that he mentioned. So the reason why it's called Mam, uh, Mambo and initially is uh is that it was a record label, and mm. he was trying to sign punk bands, um, but you know Mambo being you know like sort of like roots in music and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And he wanted that juxtaposition between punk bands and and that. He signed a few and they were going nowhere. Yeah. And he was like, oh. So he started producing like T-shirts to fund the, yeah. the, um, the I guess the the music side. The failing record company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, as I think creatives do, yeah. Um, sort of, you know, mix amongst the same circle. So he's in amongst the art scene. Yep. Good mates with Reg Mombasa. Yeah. So then, uh, then next minute that sort of kicked off that side of things. And then he he said he spent like the next twenty years just flying around the world. Going to doing different collections, you know, picking samples and doing right. all sorts of stuff and and building that up and then eventually selling that off, um, I think for quite a sizable amount of money. For sure. And yeah. then uh, and then between him and I think there are some other people who were on board for Deus as well. Mm. I I have a feeling that it's either Roy or HG, one of them has oh, really? I think bought in initially as well. Yep. Um, I don't know. I yeah. could be speaking out of turn there. I'm not. I'm not sure. But um, what's their name? Greg Pickhaven and uh, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Mm. Just but fatso. one of those guys. That's all, that's all I think about when I think about those guys. <laughs> 2000 Olympics, Fatso. <laughs> <laughs> fatso the one. Batted so. Yeah. <laughs> that was such a good call. Uh, that was a good era. It, that was good era for comedy yeah, when Carol, people could be funny. And Carol and I were just talking about it the other day. We were yep. just like, we were just like, man, those, that was so funny. Like as a kid, like. Yeah. You know, you'd watch the 2000 Olympics, but I was more interested in watching the dream afterwards. When 9.30 came yeah, around, yeah, the dream was, was like, like, yeah, that's it. That's you know, <laughs> it was the best calls of, like, it couldn't be done now. No. You just no. couldn't get away with half the stuff. Yeah, the yeah. gymnastic calls that they were doing. <laughs> oh, there's the nutcracker and, you know, all that, you know, you just sort of think, oh, man, these, these guys are hilarious. I remember that vividly, that 2000 Olympics and we're yeah. the same age. That was such a big thing for yeah. here. Kathy Freeman, yep. you know, coming down that that, that space the suit thing. Suit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was a... It was really iconic, I think. It was um, for, for for you know Australia and for Sydney. Yeah, yeah, such a um, such a cool thing. Actually, one of my uh, one of my mates' godfather actually has one of those Cupy. I don't know if you remember in the Sydney Olympics they had uh, like these Cupy dolls. Right. So Cupy dolls used to be given to kids um, when they were born in hospital. All right. It's the same Cupy doll that you see on mayonnaise bottles. Okay. Those Jap- Japanese mayonnaise, the right. Cupy mayonnaise. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Ivan, one of our sort of kind of like family friends, he's got one of those sort of fiberglass like QP oh, dolls. Really? It's massive. This thing's like two stories high. Yep. And uh, he's got planted in the front of his house in, in Byron. That's cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's just like, oh, man, it's a piece of the Sydney Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where it came from, the, from the yeah. 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's, yeah. It was cool. Like it was, for, for me, the little part for was, uh, I remember about 92, I think it was announced. I think it was the end of the Spain... Yeah. 92 was yeah, Spain, yeah. Barcelona. And the winner is Sydney. Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my grandparents saying, that year you'll be able to drive. Oh, and yeah. I was always, because I'd love vehicles from yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. before I was born. And um, I was like, yep, I'm going to be able to drive. And that's when we got to drive. I was like, this is sick. Like, Olympics is on, I can drive and We old enough to drive to high school? Yep. 
Yeah, because yeah, I'm born early in the year. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Me too. Freedom, Me too. mate. What yeah, are you yeah. born? What month? Uh, April. April? On yeah. Feb. So, oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, good. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was, uh, you know, two weeks into the year, into the last year, and freedom. Yeah, yeah, freedom. <laughs> yeah. But then, I don't know, I somehow became like the the Uber driver yeah. for like all my mates to the parties. Yeah, it was weird. I, I did the same as well, but my grades, my grades improved when freedom came. Okay. Yeah, my last two years were good. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, which is, which is what you want, I think. Yeah, so, 100%. Yeah, but uh, mate... I don't know if we've blown Huon's record apart. <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty close. We're two hours and 50, I think. Yeah. So we've done well. But uh, cameras have failed and uh, that's all on Panasonic because there's no adapters in the world at the moment for, for Panasonic GH5. So um, thank you so much for coming in, mate. Mate, thank you very much for having me, Mick. And, uh, and, and everyone, that's a call to action as well for you. Let's, yep. let's pump this podcast up for Mick as much as we can mm. so, that, uh, so that we can get these Panasonic, uh, you know, I don't know, some reds in here or something like that. For oh, you. mate. <laughs> if, we can, if we can get some reds, it's a game changer. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> but, um, yeah, appreciate everything you do, mate. And, uh, yeah, you're, you're one of the first ones that gives me feedback on my show too, which is, uh, you know, I think – don't care about compliments but it's really cool to hear people that are listening and appreciating it so thanks man yeah i think anyone doing anything new anything yep. out of their comfort zone and all that sort of stuff um you know should definitely definitely be you know celebrated yep um I, you know there's heaps of podcasts all online a lot of it comes from usually different countries mm. and i sort of think yeah you know it's, it's cool that you're doing it here and just literally doing it in our backyard yeah mate Brisbane. we're here so right. mate come down for a ride sometime and um we'll definitely catch up hopefully these three events that are or this summer series of events we can do some stuff yeah definitely, so, definitely. awesome mate take well, care that's with it. cheers thank you see ya